Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to. Buckeye Talk, Doug Marie, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, your Cleveland.com, Ohio State coverage team. Do my text thing. If you guys are listening to this and you don't know what the text thing is by now, well, well, I don't want to make assumptions. Four bucks, is it a week or a month? A month. Oh, it's such a bargain. It's a dollar a week. I write texts about the team that you like, and they show up on your phone like two or three times a day, and then you get to ask more uh, podcast questions. Just try it. 14-day free trial. Try it. Cleveland.com slash OSU. Usually we get a couple new people after every podcast, so I, I, keep, I hope that keeps happening. We appreciate you guys doing that. We appreciate you listening. Um, also, go read our stuff. Cleveland.com slash OSU. I mentioned last week our numbers are not as high as they used to be. Someone had mentioned to us that um, – the Bleacher Report app used to drag our stories in more frequently than it does now. I think I might have dragged one of mine in today, though, which was a good sign. But if you, if you use the Bleacher Report app or you use other ways to find us and you're not finding us, just bookmark cleveland.com slash OSU. Then it cuts through all the, the gobbledygook of the rest of cleveland.com. No offense to the rest of cleveland.com. Um, go to cleveland.com slash OSU, bookmark it, and then just check it like twice a day. When you wake up, at lunch, no, oh, six times a day. When you wake up at lunch, at dinner, um, like in the evening before you watch TV, if you have children after you put them to bed, and then right before you go to sleep. Six times a day, is that so much to ask? We have a lot to get to. We're going to talk about change in your car. We're going to talk about smashing fast food restaurants together as a combo. We're going to talk about whether I unfairly, I am unfairly mean to Greg Madison. And we're going to talk about Ohio State's running back situation because that's where we're starting with our questions this week, and this is the question. Oh man, did I lose it? It was. It's. It's about the running back situation. Pete in San Diego, all the way in San Diego. Sometimes when I send the early morning texts, Pete, I probably wake Pete up. Recruiting question about running backs. Um, this is a two-part thing, and I think we'll we'll get into two different things about the running back. This guy's saying that some of the recruiting guys around Ohio State are saying Ohio State wants a a. a, a Regular back in this class, an every down back, and they want an all-purpose back in this class. And and Pete in San Diego is wanting is wondering how an all-purpose back in the Demario McCall mode even fits into this team right now. When you look at this offense, Nathan, does it make sense to you that they would be in pursuit 
you know, like that third down back, that guy who's not necessarily between the tackles back? Or like, does that seem like maybe not a, a piece that they need in this offense? It does make sense in the future, potentially. I, it, when you look at this team right now, it's not a role that they're utilizing very much because I think they trust J.K. Dobbins to do that. They trust him to be essentially the third down back, the goal line back. He can be your all-purpose full game back. I think what makes sense in the future is if, say, they hand the reins over to someone like Master Teague, do they want someone more versatile, someone who can help more in the passing game? Um, is is And I don't know a lot about Master Teague's hands because they he's not usually in at times of the game where they're throwing to the running back a lot necessarily. Right. So if if they need someone who is a little bit more versatile in his skill set to be that kind of back, I could see them maybe bringing someone on like that to pair in tandem with him. But it, it, may, it, doesn't, it wouldn't necessarily make sense. It's why DeMario McCall doesn't have much of a role in this offense right now. Because why would you do that? Why, why would you take J.K. Dobbins off the field for someone who, even if he's a little bit better in some ways, receiver, whatever, is he so much better than, T, than Dobbins that you're willing to lose the other things that Lobbins, Dobbins does really well? And the one thing that, that does apply to this running back recruiting sometimes with the all-purpose backs is sometimes the all-purpose backs are H-backs for them. Mm-hmm. Jalen Gill was an all-purpose back. He's listed as a running back in high school. And the minute he gets here, he's a slot receiver. He's not a running back. They're not going to hand Jalen Gill the ball. So sometimes in recruiting, you know, you get characterized a certain way. I also don't think they necessarily need that guy because, for instance, they have Mookie Cooper in this 2020 class who's coming in. He's a slot receiver. He's Rondale Moore. He's, I know people make fun of me when I say Rondale Moore. Um, I also worked Rondale Moore randomly into like a Brown story the other day, I think. Anyway, um, the Browns should draft him. Uh, I, I, I don't know. You know what? Like, I don't. I don't know that an all-purpose back fits at H either because I think they're just going to recruit receivers. slot receivers. Yeah. You know, Paris Campbell was a high school running back, right? And they turned him into an H. It took a while. Um, they had to develop his hands because he was a high school running back. Um, but like K.J. Hill was not a high school running back. He was a receiver. So I think they're going to go more for the receivers in the slot and at H back. And I think they're going to go more for the every down guys. And I know everybody always has a pair and a spare. You need like three backs you can trust. I'm in favor at every position of having of not recruiting all the same type of guys. In basketball, I felt like Thad Mata at times fell into a, a thing where he was recruiting like all like wings, like three and D wings, but they didn't have, they didn't have any, not even three. They had they recruited slashing wings. They didn't have enough shooters. They didn't have enough point. Like you have to have variety. Yeah. Eighty-five scholarships. Get some guys who are different. Get some receivers who are different sizes. Get some tight ends who are different sizes. Get some corners who are different sizes. So I'm like theoretically in favor of the all-purpose back, but I don't I don't know how it's going to exist in the Ryan Day offense. This is the follow-up question, and this was actually the question that I was looking for originally. Um, Doug, can you dive into what the running back depth chart will look like next year? This is from the 517. Should we feel comfortable with Master Teague as our first string back? He looks like he runs the ball hard. What would you say are his weaknesses to improve on? So, Stephen, you just wrote about Master Teague. You talked to him after the game at Indiana. Um, how did Master Master T had 100 yards against Indiana? Did did he feel like he made an impact? Did he make a statement? How do you feel? How is Master T feeling like he's he's meshing with this team right now? Yeah, he, Point Blake said he's an every down back has the ability to run in the short game and in the long game. So like he's pretty set in his role. I think he understands that right now he's kind of 
the guy behind J.K. Dobbins. But, like, if J.K. Dobbins isn't on his roster next year, I think he's more than willing and ready to take over as being the bell cow type of running back for Ohio State. Would you have, would either of you have any concerns, and this is where we need to get, this is what the, this is what a depth chart question is when you think about the running back room. And again, we could even, we can, we can go through this if we need to and talk about all the positions that do have five-star recruits uh, on this roster and running back is not one of them at the moment. If J.K. Dobbins goes pro and they don't add a back, they almost certainly will and we'll throw out some names. But if they wouldn't, would you feel comfortable next year with Demario McCall, Master Teague, Marcus Crowley, and Steel Chambers being able to be the running back room for a team that 100% in 2020 will come into the season absolutely being ready to contend for a national title? Would you be comfortable with that room? No, and part of the reason is, like, even coming into this year, the only guy who had proven he could be a consistent back, even if he was coming off a bad year, was J.K. Dobbins. Next year, Teague isn't as proven as Dobbins will be going into his third year into the system. While we don't know anything about Steel Chambers and Marcus Crowley, they've never really gotten any legitimate snaps in anything meaningful. And DeMario McCall is basically a receiver at this point. Like he, the, at the beginning, he was they were using him on third down passing situations, and now they don't even use him in that. Regard. Okay, so that, but but from what we've seen. When you see Master Teague run the way he ran at Indiana, because we're gaining information. We know we don't know much. But from what we do know, the, guys, the guy that you saw run for 100 yards at Indiana, do you think he could be the number one running back, the 20-carry-a-game running back next year for a team trying to win a national title? Well, but in, again, the, the scenario changes next year. It doesn't have to be a 20-carry-a-game back necessarily. I mean, he can be the guy that is your your first two downs, and you turn things over to somebody else on the, on the third downs. You turn the ball over to somebody else in different situations. I don't think it has to. I don't think you have to have a stud running back to win a national championship. Okay, so next year, next year, Master Teague on first down, Demario McCall slash Marcus Crowley on third down. You're comfortable? Yes, because for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think you'll have probably a better offensive line than you have right now today and the lines played well but it should well it's an interesting probably i mean jonah jackson will be gone thayer munford might be gone although thayer munford's having some you know just some injury some issues being 100 percent healthy I, I don't know that he's 100 necessarily out the door as a junior right. you definitely could next year have thayer munford at left tackle Josh Myers or Harry Miller at left guard, the other one of them at center, Wyatt Davis at right guard, and Nicholas petit Frey at right tackle. That would be my guess for what the offensive line is going to be in 2020 at the moment, and you think that could be pretty good. I think it could be a pretty decent line. It's certainly no worse than what they have right now, I don't think. Um, you're going to have a quarterback who is a mobile threat, a running threat, and who will be now another year advanced, in, not only just in the system but in college football in general. All the things that I wrote about today – how he's making these mechanical adjustments, how they are you know, continuing to develop him even through this success that they've had early on. Um, you're gonna, I, I just feel like in a lot of ways it's going to be a better team next year. You're not going to necessarily need someone like – you're not going to need that stud five-star running back to carry an offense. You can, the offense can thrive in other ways, and the running back can be – a part of that, but doesn't have to be 
again, one of these frontline talents, these star running backs necessarily. I don't agree with that. What, what do you think they would I need? To, to, to be at a national championship contending level, I think you do need to have a running back who's like a reliable like threat on a consistent basis. If you look at the two teams who have won the last four national championships, well, Alabama's a running back university, and Clemson has Travis Etienne right now, who's a guy who can, in 12 carries, get you 120 yards. I'm not saying that they need to be on the level of like a Najee Harris or Travis Etienne, but they do need to be on a certain level to where if they're getting the ball 15 to 20 times a game, they're getting you at least 100 yards. And I think T can be that, but he like he's like they can't just like not be an existing thing where you're just rotating different backs. Well, well Teague is running at that kind of rate right now, or close to it. And again. It's not those players alone at those other schools who are getting those yards on their own. It's it's a product of the running game as a whole, a product of the offense as a whole. Um, you know, it, it makes it easier to be a running back at Alabama or at Clemson when you've got the quarterbacks that they have, the receivers that they have, the, the offensive line that they have. Um, and that's where I think if Ohio State can take a step forward in all of those things, it's going to matter less if they take a, a small step back in terms of running back talent. Which is true, but what like a good running back isn't necessarily about, like, yeah, the line's got to do a good job of getting you through that hole, but it's about what the running back can do once he gets to that second level, which is what J.K. Dobbins had a problem with doing last year, and he's doing a better job of it this year. Najee Harris and Travis Etienne do a really good job on that second level of making things happen. So I, I guess I would, I would say this, too. You watched... NFL football now. Watch how NFL football is handled. I think we made this this point on the the podcast before. NFL teams barely care about running backs now. That's true. They draft running backs in the third, fourth round, and and expecting those to turn into their starters. Uh, well, I, I don't. I think I think they believe that you can get a good back in a lot of ways. I think they don't care about them in prioritizing right. their roster building. Right. But I think like on game day on Sunday. I think they care about them. But I kind of feel the same philosophy can apply at the college level. I don't think you, have to have, that you're, you don't okay. have to have a number one super stud running back in order to have a really, really, really potent running back. And I'm saying the teams who are winning national championships right now are saying otherwise. They're showing that. But, but I don't know. But Clemson is a throw-first team. They, you can be a throw-first team, but their running back is still a threat. Like, Tua is, is a first-round draft pick. But the running back is still a legitimate threat. Well, and the difference is what you do. I mean, like, but so, I mean, could Master Teague be a threat? That's the the, thing, like, the he, issue is whether do you need a first-round running back or if you have a and – he, and here's a decent comparison to bring it into Ohio State, right? The last two national championship teams at Ohio State had stud running backs. Mm-hmm. We're almost led by running backs, Ezekiel Elliott and Maurice Claret. Mm-hmm. They don't win the national championships if their running backs aren't great. Right. In 2005 and 2006, um, Antonio Pittman was Ohio State's lead running back. Um, in 2006, when they were undefeated the whole year and the number one team in the country, he averaged 5.1 yards per carry. He had 242 carries for 1,233 yards. He's really good. He was a fourth-round pick. Never really had an NFL career. He was very good at Ohio State. He wasn't Ezekiel Elliott. Mm-hmm. He wasn't Maurice Claret. He wasn't Beanie Wells, who followed after him, who was a freshman and, and took some of his uh, – had 104 carries in 2006, and then Beanie took over in 2007. He was good, but you had Troy Smith. You had Ted Ginn Jr. You had Anthony Gonzalez. You had a veteran quarterback. You had a good offensive line. You had a lot of other things that worked. So maybe 
Antonio Pittman could be very good, but not great. In 2013, you know, Carlos Hyde was like really good for Ohio State with Braxton Miller. He wasn't Ezekiel Elliott. He wasn't Maurice Claret. There have been some awesome running backs come through here. But they've also won at times with good running backs. Master Teague's not Ezekiel Elliott. That's not an insult to Master Teague. I don't think he's ever going to be Ezekiel Elliott. I think maybe some of the recruits they missed on, some of these five-star guys that they tried to get and didn't get, maybe could have been Ezekiel Elliott. I don't think Master Teague's Marie Claret. No, that's not an insult. Maybe he could be Antonio Pittman. So I think you guys are you guys are in – like you have to have like at least a good running back. Well, yeah, I'm, but that's the thing. Like, I'm not how good you do you can, need to be? I'm not saying you have to, you're going to grind away with a, a 19 19- – 37 fullback or whatever at three yards a carry. I, that's not what I'm talking about. But I thought that my, my understanding of the conversation was, do you need J.K. Barrett or even something better? Like that that level. That J.K. Dobbins. Or Jake, I'm sorry, yeah, J.K. Dobbins. Um, <laughs> J.K. Yeah. Dobbins. We're um, smashing together fast food restaurants and Ohio State players. Do you need J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley? Do you need that level of running back in order to contend for a national championship? I do not think... You need that level of running back to win a national championship. I think you can you can utilize your personnel more creatively than that, and still get and still put together the kind of running game that can win those games. I will say so. The point of this is we're we're not here to downgrade anybody. We're just talking about when you're talking about the elite of the elite. In 2017, Ohio State had one, two, three, four, five, five five-star recruits in the 2017 class. Defensive end, cornerback, linebacker, cornerback, and offensive guard. Okay? In 2018, they had one, two, three, three five-star recruits. Offensive tackle, defensive tackle, safety. Now, they have a lot of other good players in there, right? But none of those top, 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 top guys are running backs. And I think, Nathan, to your point, just like the idea of when an NFL team is drafting players, their first-round picks, you don't see running backs most of the time going in the top half of the first round because they're drafting the same positions that Ohio State is getting five stars at. Offensive tackle, corner, pass rusher, quarterback if you can get it, right? All those kind of things. So uh, I think we have given a lot of attention to the running back position because they've had some high-profile misses in recruiting lately and they have they have not had very many misses in recruiting at all and the other thing that stands out is that they have so many receivers coming in in 2020 to not have a running back at all in that class at the moment is is a little weird so I guess I don't I I feel like my head is down when Master Teague plays I, I I gotta go back and watch him more my instinct off the bat is not is not to automatically think that Master Teague could be the guy. That I don't uh, automatically think for sure he could be your number one back in 2020 and you would absolutely get everything you need. But I might be wrong on that. And if he's Antonio Pittman or Carlos Hyde, that that very well might be enough. Nathan, when you watch him run, you like him, though. When you watch him run, you like him and you think he runs hard. And he, I do. I, I, his I really wide think, shoulders. I, I, I think, and I said it after the game the other night. Like I think if you were to flip... The script, him and, and Dobbins from Saturday, I think the numbers come out pretty similar. Uh, so if you th- so you th- if if J.K. Dobbins is good enough, then you think Master Teague is good enough because you think yeah. they're probably again more uh, similar than not. Now, again, we have not seen we haven't not seen them in the same role. We have not seen Teague be asked to do some of the things that Dobbins is asked to do in the passing game 
all that stuff. But again, at the end of the day, it's just production. The, the whether you know, it's the five star thing does not matter. I, it does not matter what they were when they came into the program. It matters what they are when you're asking them to do things in the program. That's what matters. It doesn't matter what star level J.K. Dobbins was. It matters what he does when you play him on Saturday. You know, I was just talking to Damon Arnett today. A guy who came in as what a three star, yeah, um, guy, and he's now he's starting on on a team that. Uh, is number six in the country and and, and perspective though. But that's what he's doing today. That's yeah. all that matters. It doesn't matter what he was when he was a freshman. It doesn't matter that he got moved to the safety room twice. It doesn't matter that he was the number sixty recruit in the country or whatever he was. It matters what he is today. And it doesn't matter what Master Teague had next to his name on um on as far as the stars. It matters what does he do when they line him up next year. So and and that that goes for every running it goes for every player on the team. But but I also think I think it, it may be more true at running back at times because what you do as a running back is so your production is so dependent on so many other people in front of you, whether that's the, the offensive line, whether that's what we wrote about last week with um the other thing we didn't mention was that, you know, a year from now Justin Fields is probably even more adept at the read option stuff and how does that help a running back when he's making better decisions um when to hand it off when to keep it i just i feel like there's there i'm not saying that master teague is going to be a heisman contender but i'm saying that the production that master teague and other running backs in that room can put together in theory can be better than if you or as good as if you had a five-star bell cow coming in and the, the one thing is i mean the part of it is so there's two things one is part of this is just like a recruiting discussion. You know, it's like the stars matter or whatever. It's like, I mean, they matter to some degree, but in the end, obviously, we all know there are three stars who are great and there are five stars who fizzle. Right. Chase Young was a five star and is a stud. And Jeff Okuda was a five star and is a stud. Right. And Sean Wade was a five star and is a stud. And Garrett Wilson is a five star and people are freaking out about how good he's going to be. Right. And like that guy just doesn't exist in the running back room behind J.K. Dobbins right now. It doesn't that's, mean that's that Master Teague but couldn't Dobbins be good. He was cl- actually he was close. Yeah, he he was, was like number forty six player yeah. in the country. He was close, and like it is just interesting. But I think it goes back again to like so your your priority thing a little bit of like it's just interesting to me that. In a world where Chase Young's and Garrett Wilson's and Jeff's Okuda's are just part of the fabric of this program, that there's not one in the running back room behind J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins is basically with that guy. But next up, so Brian Sneed was that guy. Brian Sneed is the closest to that. He's the highest rated running back that they've recruited in the past couple of years. And he's not here anymore because he transferred because he had issues and he left. So the, the one thing that is true that I think you have to take into consideration is this, is as much as you might believe in Teague and you might believe in Marcus Crowley, this was not the plan because Brian Sneed was part of the plan yeah. and he's gone. And they thought Kendall Milton or B. John Robinson or, or Jalen Knighton or one of these other guys in this 2020 class would be part of the plan and they haven't gotten that guy yet. So there are two things at play here that didn't work out the way they wanted it to. And so, yes, it could work out, but there are two parts of this that are an issue. And again, it's one of those things. It's not quite like quarterback recruiting, but you don't you don't recruit three running backs a year, you know. So um, I think that's 
reasonable to keep in mind as we sort of assess this too is that it's not what they want either. It's not what their ideal master plan. No, if I, master plan, master Teague. It wasn't. <laughs> master Teague might be the plan. This was not the master plan. A little, some stuff got a little bit sideways. Yeah. The other thing I would say is, so when we talk about whether player X, position X. Uh, concept X is going to be the difference between them winning a national championship or not, or being a contender. All we're basically saying is, can they get to the playoffs without, with not having that? Well, so I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, I'm saying, can they win a national championship okay. without it? Well, because there's they, one thing okay. to get to the playoff, but it's also uh, okay. can you they, beat they, Bama? Yeah, but can you beat to, Bama? They got to the, the playoff before. Last time they got to the playoff, they didn't score. Is the reason they didn't get to the playoff or win a national championship last year because they didn't have? I, five star I think that the, the, the no. next time, uh, no, but the next time and they the year got before a, that, no, no, okay. but the well, next, I do, I'll say this though, the, and they'll the, have a better team well, next year than after they, had they lost their last two. After years, they right? lost to Purdue, the first thing they did when they played Nebraska two weeks later was say we need to establish our run game, and they neglected the best passer they've ever had in order to reestablish a run game. They did have issues. I mean, part of it was that. Yeah, the, the red zone issues were a part of. Um, the red zone issues were a part of why they lost to Purdue, and I think it's possible if J.K. Dobbins or Mike Weber, either of them, in the eighth game of the 2018 season were running the ball the way Ezekiel Elliott ran the ball for Ohio State, they might have beaten Purdue. I, like, I think, I, I think that actually – on the list of th- reasons they lost to Purdue, like not, not having Ezekiel Elliott isn't – at the top of the list, but it's on the list. But he might have helped. Like he might have helped. Like he's good. Like he's good. He just got ninety million dollars. But also, I'm not sure that our threshold for every argument can be like, well, does this team need the greatest running back in the, of the past ten years? Like the, the if this but team also, doesn't have the best running back in the NFL, the Buckeyes can't win a national title. No, That's not but it. But you also on that team last year did not have a quarterback who can do in the running game what Justin Fields can do now, and will be able to do even better a year from now. True. But also, he was awesome. Yeah. Yes, he was. But that, that what he did doesn't necessarily help you in a in a in a goal line scenario. Let, let me ask you this, and then we want to just touch on a couple names, Stephen. If you want to make sure we have the names up of the guys that we're talking about for who they still could get in twenty twenty. Um, do you think? And this has been a debate that people have brought up. Should a five star running back want to come to Ohio State? Or is there something about this offense or the perception of this offense or this program or where it is right now that it is an uphill fight to get one of the very best running back recruits in the country to come here? I think in the Urban Meyer area, if you take away the Ezekiel Elliott factor of things, the spread offense is a great offense, but it's very limited in what running backs do. Like, no, I just—he smashed that. I mean, that—that's what they said when Urban got here. Carlos Hyde went nuts in 2013. Ezekiel mean, Elliott I, went what nuts what in 14 is, and 15. What I mean is, like, the benefit we've asked: what is the benefit for a running back being able to when a quarterback goes under center, and you get to go downhill from the get go. You're not getting it from the side, having to like build up momentum in order to run. That's what I mean. Obviously, yeah, guys still got their numbers within the spread offense. Everybody's in shotgun. I think that the under center stuff. You think the spread offense was was a negative effect to recruit no, no, a running no, no. back? I, I, I think the fact that there is now an option of going under center where a running back can run downhill and have his momentum going straight for for a guy like Kendall Milton, as big as he is, I think that's a big. I think that matters 
to him in some way. It might not be the biggest factor, but it, I think it's a factor. You're saying that's a positive now. Yeah, it's a positive. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm not. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There are factors of this offense now that may be a positive going forward for other. The same way that, like, with Garrett Wilson, he saw them throwing the ball, and, like, Ryan Day told him that before it happened. And then he saw it last year, and it kind of confirmed everything Ryan Day was telling him. So if you think, if people think that Ohio State needs a stud running back or needs to get someone else for this class, which is two different conversations, but if, if you think they really need a really good running back in this coming in class, then what J.K. Dobbins is doing right now is really important. Because, number one, it's improving his chances of leaving, which makes it easier to recruit someone else potentially to come in behind him. But number two, it's showing what is possible for a running back on a consistent basis in this. I know we're only three games in, but it shows what a running back is capable of in this offense. If he can continue that, I think that improves their chances of being able to land someone to come in and want to be the next one. I do think there was a misread on Ryan Day and on this offense to some degree. And Ryan, I mean, I've had this conversation with people. They had a 2,000-yard running back last year. It just was two guys. Mm-hmm. If, if they only had, the issue last year was not running the ball. As much as Dwayne threw it all over the place to a degree that nobody at Ohio State had ever thrown it, kind of the point I was they saying. ran for 2,000 yards with their tailbacks. It just wasn't one person the way that, like. So, but it's like, oh, I think there is some perception of it, but I do think, to your point, Nathan, they are changing that perception right now, possibly. And Ryan Day will do whatever it takes to win. And it's not going to be thrown around the yard at all costs. I don't know if it's going to be able to, like, pull a guy to flip a guy in this class, but you would think it would help for 2021. But I, I think that was a, a point of frustration for them that I think that they thought maybe there was a perception as they pulled in all these receivers that maybe for some reason this wasn't a back-friendly offense. And I think they believe it 100% is a back-friendly offense. Who do we think they might end up with in 2020? So there's eight guys that they've offered who are not committed yet. The the top guy here is Zachary Evans, but he's probably not coming here at this point. There's two he's more. the number one back in the country, right? Yeah, and it's it's he was supposed to come over the summer on an unofficial visit, and he canceled at the last one to go on a visit to another school. So he's probably the slim chances of getting a five star running back would be him, but they're slim at this point. EJ Smith, Michael Drennan are two all purpose backs. One from Texas, EJ Smith is also the son of Emmett Smith, the Hall of Famer. He recently got an offer, and Michael Drennan, who just came on a, on a visit a couple of weeks ago from Dublin Kaufman, I think that's a guy they're probably going to get. But as far as actual, like, every down running backs, the main guy is Kevontre Bradford out of Texas as well. Uh, four-star kid, 18th best running back in the country. He just recently received an offer, and, like, it's, if they're going to get somebody, I think he'd be the, you know, the best bet right now. And I just don't, but I, the question is any of those. Bijan Robinson, I think, would have been a guy that would have come and, and made a difference right away. I don't yeah, know. No. They, they didn't get their first choice. I mean, Ohio State often, not always, nobody always gets their first choice. They often get their first choice. And I think when you look at, like, when they got Jack Miller um, early at quarterback, I think they could have gotten whoever they wanted, and they picked Jack Miller. They got Kyle McCord early. They turned down guys who were higher ranked and picked Kyle McCord at quarterback in 2021. You know, they went and got the best receiver in 2020 in Julian Fleming, and they pulled him out of Pennsylvania. They, they win. So they're not getting their first choice, which happens. But I'm not sure they're getting their top five choice. So, again, that's part of it, that in a world where Brian Sneed was their guy, he's gone, and now you're not getting one of your top three choices at least in 2020 – you're just going to have to hope that things work out in a world where it's not going exactly as you wanted it to go. 
All right, let's um, move on. We wanted to kind of you know use that discussion to to go a couple different ways because I feel like we've been having sort of similar sounding discussions around this team for the first three weeks. Um, I would like to, if you guys are okay with this, and I think we've all done it to various degrees at times, one is only for Nathan. I would like to add two. I would like to stipulate something like the beginning of a trial. We're going to stipulate this for our discussion. One is, Nathan, we know that you haven't been here. So your opinion is completely valid, but we don't care if you weren't here. We're going to assume that you know everything about this team that needs to be known. Okay. Second thing is we know that they haven't played great competition yet, but you can only play who they can play. So we're just going to evaluate them on who they've played, stipulating to the fact that, of course, it's going to get harder from here. So I think that's like a reasonable – is that okay? Like it's yes. Like it's a fact, and we all know that. Um, so we're going to stipulate that going out, and 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 we're going to try to. We're not going to get to all the questions because it's impossible. Um, but we do get a lot of questions like this, and and we want to delve into the stuff that you guys care about. But sometimes it makes us sort of talk about the same kind of stuff a lot. Um, from the two hundred two in early on the question list, what's most likely to be tested against better teams that maybe hasn't been tested so far? Offensive line, fields and receivers getting open, pass rush. What's the thing that, like, of all the things they've done well, what's the thing that, that you still you still think is is maybe waiting for a test? And I, I'll go first. I mean, I do think as good as Justin Fields is, like, if there's a consistent pass rush in his face, if people are giving him looks that are throwing him off, you know, get – Baker Mayfield's getting fooled by defensive coordinators right now. I'm not sure any defensive coordinator has fooled Justin Fields so far. I don't know who's coming down the line that's going to do it. Maybe Mark D'Antonio. But I think it's I think I think Justin Fields is going to be tested in a way that he hasn't been tested so far. That's an obvious one. But he's been so good and so in control. I just that I mean that's that's coming. Yeah, I think that in terms of Fields and really in terms of the whole team, what's what. What they need to be tested for and what will happen at some point is when everything isn't going in their favor. Like so many, at one point early in all three of these games, the snowball started rolling downhill and it turned into a boulder and it was just crushing everything in its wake. Um, Especially these past two weeks. It was just, well, and actually I guess the first week, I mean, being up 28 to nothing in in, in the blink of an eye. So what this, what, what will happen when they face someone, maybe it's on the road against Nebraska, maybe it's at home against a good defense like Michigan State. Somewhere as we get close to the midpoint of the season, there's going to be a time where Ohio State's down by a touchdown, Ohio State's down by 10 points or more. And what does this team do at that point? It's really going to be um, both a kind of a maybe a potentially harrowing moment for for the fans who, who you know are, are going to have flashbacks to other you know, problems for the last couple of years, but I think it's going to be the most important part. You know, well, you would eventually look back on that as being potentially like the most important juncture of a season. When did that adversity hit? How did that team handle it? More importantly, how did they overcome it? Because I think there's something to be said for learning from those situations, being able to apply it to the next time it comes up in, you know, potentially a big 10 championship game, the Michigan game, national semifinal championship game, something like that. So, I don't know if we said this on the podcast, but we just were having a conversation one day. Last year, Jordan Fuller led Ohio State in tackles, and I'm pretty sure you said something on the lines of, like, it's not good if you're 
free safety pretty much is leading your team. In yeah, tackles. he got past the guy with the ball. Got past yeah. the first ten guys. Guess who's leading the team in tackles right? Now? Jordan Fuller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, and part of my thing is wrong. Like, he's on the field a lot. Malik Harrison, yeah. I think, actually tied Jordan Fuller last year. Also, I'm sure Malik yeah. is up there right now. Right, Malik's on the field all the time. Uh, it's uh, Jordan Fuller's at twelve, and then Jeff Okuda and Malik Harrison both have ten. Um, Jeff Okuda's made a lot of tackles. He's that total tackles or just solos? Total. That guy hits. Uh, Jordan Fuller has the most solo tackles, too, with eight. And Jeff Okuda has the second most solo tackles. With you know who's good, by the way? Jeff Okuda. Anyway. Yeah, I think, but that's, I just wanted to point that out because I was against that. I think the defense has been really, really good. Um, but there's two facets. One, the defensive line. Obviously, Chase Young is Chase Young. But Indiana would have provided the first opportunity for them to play, play a quarterback who, like, provides some of the same things that Justin Fields provides as far as being an athlete. But then Penix didn't play, and so I kind of took that off of the, the market. I think Nebraska will be the next time. So two weeks from now, when the next time they play a real football game, they'll play a quarterback who provides that same type of feel of a guy who can make plays happen with his legs. And I want to see how the, how the defensive line responds to that, where maybe when you initially get to him, you might not get him down because he might be able to make a play. And, I'm, and with the secondary, it's kind of – Indiana tested them, and they kind of passed that test. Damon Arnett was amazing. But I don't – Peyton Ramsey is probably not one of the three best quarterbacks they're going to face this year. So those are still things I have questions on of whether or not, you know, let's see what happens as the talent continues to rise with some of these positions. The quarterbacks they've played have stunk, I thought. Well, yeah. that's true, but that's one of the questions I don't have, and here's why. Because this got brought up today. There was a question um, – Hammer, if I asked the question that – led to this answer or if I was following up somebody else. But B.B. Lander said something about – oh, it was, I asked a question about um, how the run defense is setting up the success they're having on third down. And he said during the process of that answer something about the ones against the ones and how they're just playing a lot of – it feels like they're just playing more football, real football, and that's getting them ready for games. So I said, oh, when the ones go against the ones, how is Justin Fields making this defense better? And sometimes when you hear those answers – they sound kind of, you know, guys will give you the answer they think you want, or it's kind of a seems like kind of a fake answer. I felt like they're that just was... trying to like impress Nathan Bear, you know, because Robert <laughs> Landon is like this new guy. That's seems like it seems but, like he knows what he's talking about. I want him to like me. I, I guarantee you that's not correct. Um, but just in general, not me, but just they'll say to a reporter, "Oh yeah, he's it's it's really tough going against him." But I mean, you, I don't know how you guys felt, but I felt like the answer he gave was very sincere, and that he was because he basically went out of his way to say like. If we don't show up ready to be great at practice, we get torched by this guy. So it, I don't know how often the ones go against the ones. I don't know if they're getting a ton of reps. And obviously it's not live hitting because Chase Young's not going back there and snapping Justin Fields in half. Uh, but I, I think this team sees a better quarterback in practice during the week than it is going to see maybe in the entire regular season on a Saturday. So I'm not that worried about this defense not being tested by a really great quarterback yet. I think it is getting tested a lot by a really great quarterback. Yeah, but they can't tackle him. and So, like, they kind of, you know, they'll blow it dead. You're right. So it's different when it's live and you can actually hit That's the true. The, the, I, and I, 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 I said that. I said that, you know, they're not hitting live. That is different. But I also think that it's showing them the level. It's not just about tackling the guy at the point of – where you know, the point of intersection it's about all the fundamental things that go into everybody being in the right place to be able to make that tackle in the first place and i think those sorts of things 
are going to benefit this team when they do finally get on the field against Adrian Martinez, whoever that's that's another great quarterback in the Big Ten. So we are doing this in the lobby of the Fawcett Center again, and we don't kick us out, don't lock us in. They're like setting some stuff up. So when you hear the goosh, it's dollies going past. So we apologize for the goosh, but they're just doing their jobs. And so we. a great dolly. Yeah. That was uncanny. Okay, so we're doing. So we have a couple of things that are working here with the text questions. Again, if you want to be part of the text questions, three ninety nine a month. Me and your phone. Cleveland.com slash OSU. Go to Cleveland.com slash OSU, the site that you have bookmarked in order to visit six times a day. We have an app, too, by the way. We do have an app in the app store on your phone that all the things slide, all the stories slide right into the app. It's an Ohio State football app. Go, go get that, too. Um, but the text thing, if you go to Cleveland.com slash OSU, you'll find the ads for it. They're pumping it up. They, they want to sell me to the world. I'm for sale in every way, shape, and form. I will come. I won't mow your grass. I have someone else mow my grass. My wife used to mow our grass, um, and now we pay somebody else to do it. I haven't mowed the lawn in – like that whole thing that Baker Mayfield commercial about Baker Mayfield, like mowing the Brown Stadium. I, I, I haven't mowed a lawn in 20 years. I'm so late. I'm a worthless person. I know people say if a man doesn't mow his own lawn, it says something about him, and I completely – Agree with yeah. that sentiment because everything you need to know about me personally can be derived from the fact that I do not mow my own lawn, and the last person to mow my lawn in our house was my wife. That does say a lot. I think you're not. You, I, could you, have, I could have guessed that. You barely know me, and you are. <laughs> you couldn't be less surprised this by is, that fact. I'm going into my second year of not having a lawn to mow. So, and I feel like less of a man because I'm not every. 10 days going out there and like worrying about whether or not it rained or not to, to mow my lawn. Well, I don't know. Like it's, it's summer. It doesn't grow that fast. I, I'm also not a lawn maintenance guy too. I'm a, my, if it's like, if we go through a drought and the, the whole lawn turns brown, I am fine with that. I'm not wasting time oh, yeah. and money and water on growing greener grass. I want to you move. You're a sucker. I want to move unless you are a loyal listener of this podcast and you enjoy your, you enjoy your lawn, in which case you're not a sucker. Or you're a loyal potential sponsor. You can, yeah. you can listen to Buckeye talk while you mow your lawn. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm sure there are people who do that. I want to move to Florida and have one of those rock lawns, or Arizona. Mm-hmm. My lawn is rocks. My lawn is practically rocks anyway. I, one time, we always talk about this, this is the thing I do. Um, it's like a, it's like one of those books, like when you give a mouse a cookie. There have been times when I've needed to shovel the snow, to rake the leaves, to mow the, like, I left a pile of leaves in our front yard one time for like four months and like the snow snowed on them and like in the spring I was like I guess I better rake those leaves and we moved the leaves and the lawn it was like a hole to the center of the earth I had murdered the lawn and that's why I don't, I don't do it anymore We're, one of the things I asked in the text question again cleveland.com slash OSU is whether I'm unfair to Greg Madison and people think that I am um, a response from the 202, it's fair to credit Jeff Halfley with a lot, especially the swagger and the play of the secondary, but I think where Madison will deserve credit is play calling and in-game adjustments. He hasn't had to do it a lot yet, but the last few years, the defense has gotten burned because everyone knew what plays they had called, and Shiana was slow and hesitant to change. I'm hopeful Madison will win more of these chess matches and have the sense um, that he's more responsible for the play calling, that this person senses that Greg Madison should get that credit. Um, what is your – it's early. Like, do you have faith – with all the stuff that we've talked about and seen, 
with how they're playing fast and how they're letting the guys run and the scheme change, do you have faith in the play calling of the defense um, and, the, and Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley as we move forward? I mean, as far as the secondary with Jeff Halfley, yeah. I mean, they're in zone a lot more often. They're not just press man the entire game and living and dying by we're either going to lock you up or we're going to get burnt. So from that standpoint, yeah. What about the rest? What about the Madison part? I mean, it's hard not to have confidence right now because every button they've pushed has worked. And it's, I mean, you know, the, the linebackers playing yeah. have, have really answered, I think, a lot of the concerns that people had, um, especially considering it's mostly the same guys that were here last year and that, that people felt underwhelmed. And, you know, they're stepping up and playing at a high level. You're hearing a lot of, you know, up and down the, the, the roster, people talking about what, what P. Werner's doing right now. What, what Baron Browning has kind of emerged to start doing. Obviously, what Malik Harris is doing, you know, it's just kind of a mainstay. But in front of them, you've got this rotation of, what is it now, like four, six, eight guys that you feel pretty confident in being able to go out there and make plays in Big Ten games, I think, uh, on that defensive line. And that's, that's including some guys who, who aren't necessarily healthy right now. But when, when they're at full strength, they're incredibly deep, I think, up front. Um, and then uh, the secondary speaks for itself. I mean, I just – right now – I, it's it's hard for me to really have a lot of criticisms for either of those guys because this is what they've set up, this is what they spent the entire off season putting together, and they've unleashed it, and it's really impressive at all three levels right now. If I'm going to be nitpicky, I think the only like thing as far as from a defensive standpoint that looks like it's a hole that's eventually going to get exploited is the, is the fact that sometimes Pete Warner is playing safety. Yeah, but they like that. Yeah. He's such a good athlete. They yeah. keep talking about how yeah. they're very comfortable with it. Yeah, so, so, I mean, if they like it, we'll see. Mean, maybe it's not a hole, but and we it, know it's a hole. And it, what I want to see is, because we just haven't seen a team chess. I mean, it's been on film now, three games. So you would think that at some point a team is going to see, well, when we motion over here and then they're bringing a blitz over here, that means that they drop that guy down and they send the, full, the, the, the Sam linebacker as the single high safety. So we should audible into or a hot route, whatever, to, to go for that guy, to go four for that words. spot. How has it not happened yet? Like, it doesn't even it doesn't have to be four words. It's like, because you're already lined up. So it's like, you need to tell one of these guys that's already on the field, Somebody I'm throwing to you up out. deep on, the, on that guy. But they ha- that hasn't happened yet, and I don't really understand why. And I think it's partially because the only time we're seeing that happen is when those certain circumstances play out. Something else is happening with what the offense shows them that makes them think, in order to compensate for all those other things, we're going to let him go high. We're going to take that chance. But, so until a team actually burns them, I'm not going to criticize that that much. Um, this is from uh, Ross R. Fulton on Twitter. Ross is a really good X and O's guy who's been doing Ohio State stuff for a long time for the Ohio State Rivals site. Um, and I would just like to say that I – some an X and O's guy, and this is, this is not at all uh, – this is gonna. It's not at all about anybody who does X's and O's for Ohio State or the Browns or anything. But I follow a lot of X and O's people on Twitter, um, both who do national college football and national NFL stuff, and and I learn a lot from all these people. But one of them uh, tweeted something the other day about like writers who are good writers and why do they why do these writers feel like they need to do X and O stuff? They get it all wrong, um, and it ticked me off a little bit because. I, I get it. Like, not everybody who's going to do and break down some X's and O's stuff about Ohio State is, or the Browns or anybody else, is like a professional X's and O's guy. That 
you know, we're, we're all trying to do everything and, and the X's and O's guys who do a really good job of it are great, but like, it's okay for some of us to take a shot at it sometimes too. And maybe we're not perfect, but we're trying to explain things to the readers. So like back off snooty X's and O's guy. Again, nobody around here, Jake Burns, Ross Fulton, um, Jones at 11 Warriors, all these guys are, are just excellent, excellent at what they do. Um, but national X and O's guy, like, take a hike, brother. I don't, I don't need to hear it. We're doing the best we can. Can't we just all get along? I don't, I don't, I don't bust out the, the thing about how, like, the X and O's guys is, if you're an X and O's guys and you use the wrong adjective, like, it's okay. We're just doing the best we can. I don't know. I'm fine with it, though. I mean, if, if, if we can't stand the heat of criticism, then we shouldn't be in a business where we're critiquing wrong. other people. Wrong. I am here to rip, to rip others constantly and get my back up anytime someone even implies that there's anything wrong with me. That's what I'm all about. But I would like to say I'm an entertainer. I don't, I don't, I don't put on a persona. I am who I am, but I am not here to inform. <laughs> if you want to be informed, go somewhere else. I'm here. That's a great time to put out another call for those uh, those tech subscribers. So you know, I am what I am, man. Ross is really smart. I like his stuff. He looked at one of our videos or saw the tweet of one of our videos about how good how good is the Ohio State defense, and he responded by saying, it's very reflective of a Greg Madison-designed defense with Madison calling the plays and Jeff Halfley adding in the cover three pattern matching. So again, Ryan Day was talking about that today with Jeff Halfley, they, and this is a, what a lot of NFL guys do with their zone looks now is that you drop back in a zone, cover three is you're in a, you're in a zone. You can also kind of play cover one, which is man-to-man off the same thing. But it's a single high safety. You play a cover three zone, but pattern matching is, 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 is when they run in your zone, then you play man on them. You drop to an area, but a lot of times when zones get picked apart, it's because guys are standing in spots on the field. And then receivers find the creases and quarterbacks find the creases and you're standing there and there's a receiver in between four different guys. And it's like, well, everyone played his own. How could they not find that guy? Pattern matching is when the guy comes in your area, you go with him. So that's what Halfley's doing a lot. So there are times I think when, when the ball's getting to a guy, it might look like man, but actually they've dropped back into an area and then they've matched the receiver once they get there. But for, for Ross is saying that this is looking like a Greg Madison designed defense. I think they're getting after the quarterback. They're allowing the defensive lineman to get upfield. We see the linebackers aren't getting caught in between as much. And so I thought that was a valuable contribution by um, Ross. And here's what someone in the 813 said to me. Honest question, that if the defense was not performing well so far, would you put the blame on Madison? It seems like right now you are giving most of the credit to Halfley, but if the defense struggled, then Madison would be the culprit. Yes. You would, 100%. Without question. I mean, by the way, no one here is – that's not to say that that's, that you're saying that the defense struggling would be because of Madison. No, we're you're saying simply that saying that he that would. That's what, that's what Doug would say. There would already me. be a column out about Dougie. how bad he's been and how he's the new Bill Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But he, from the 813 continues, I was very against the Madison hire at first, but I have to give him some credit for the way the defense is playing. From the 919, yes, you are biased against him, but maybe with reason. He was in a questionable hire to run the defense, older former defensive coordinator from a rival school. Um, so I think we have come around to the fact that I am an, a biased 
entertaining idiot who is unfairly attacking a veteran football coach. You aspire to entertaining. <laughs> I don't think you can call your yeah, you can't call yourself that. Yeah, if you're saying you're entertaining, you're probably not entertaining. But your 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 criticisms of the Madison hire had more to do correct me if I'm wrong, had more to do with why when you talk 364 days a year about how awful of a horrible hellhole Michigan is, are you hiring their defensive coordinator on a 365th day? Yes. He just said Michigan in the Fawcett Center. Yeah, no, you're okay. You're allowed now. It's okay. No, you're right. That it, My point was, I think, like, last year, I think the main thing about the defensive coaching that is good is that it's not last year's coaches, right? I mean, they look great because last year was so bad. I just think a bunch of other people could have done what Greg Madison is doing. Um, and it's the point that I make all the time with assistant coaches, and I, I can't remember where I made it the other day, but, like, again, Alex Grinch was supposed to be some great hire here. He went to Oklahoma. Everybody's writing all these stories about how Alex Grinch is revamping the Oklahoma defense. And it's like, oh, Ohio State lost this secondary coach. It's supposed to be really good. So what happened? They hired Jeff Halfley, who's just as good. So, so I, I do think that, okay, like – they just needed to get somebody in here who was going to do something different than what Greg Schiano did. Why did it have to be a guy who'd been at Michigan for 13 years and hadn't even been a Michigan's defensive coordinator for the last five? So that's my main point. But I'm going to try to be more open-minded and fair. And d- someone did say, like, someone Stephen used the Bill Davis word. Someone else used the Bill Davis, the Tim Beck word. We know what I've what I've said and written about Bill Davis and Tim Beck in the past. The way that Greg Madison has coached in the first three games, he certainly does not deserve to be lumped in those with those people. So I will attempt um, to not lump him. Here's a fair question. I think at this point, a quarter away in the season, how much credit should we give Ryan Day for what this defense is doing right now, both for setting kind of the guidelines that he set and for hiring the people that he hired to come in and run it. And potentially, I guess, the third thing would just be for having the, yes, but also being someone, the guys who are offensive minds, I think sometimes when we look at this, we assume they are just getting out of the way and letting the defensive people handle it. But I think these guys who are advanced offensive minds often contribute more to the defense than we think because they know what they struggle to beat as an offensive mind and they want their defenses to emulate that. I do think, I mean, Jeff Halfley wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Ryan Day. You know, Greg Madison would be here in a lot of circumstances. Greg Madison has, has connections to Ryan Day, but he also has a million connections to Urban Meyer. You know, um, Jeff Halfley is here because he worked with Ryan Day with the San Francisco 49ers, and, and I'm sure they said one of those things of like, hey, man, if I ever get to be a head, a head coach somewhere, I'm going to hire you. Um, so the Halfley hire is really good. Al Washington has roots in Columbus, has roots at Ohio State, has a direct connection to Ryan Day, worked with him at Boston College. You know, I think Al Washington would have come back to Ohio State and left Michigan for a lot of Ohio State coaches, but Ryan Day had an extra connection with Al Washington. Al Washington sure as heck seems to be doing a really good job right now. So I think Ryan Day does get a lot of credit um, for the hires that he's made. And I I double-checked – I asked him again, I guess last week it was, about like what were the things – you said there were non-negotiables with the defense. You know, you told these – because if Ryan Day said, hey – I don't want to run single high safety. Then they wouldn't run single high safety. 
Like I, to your point, right. like the head coach still gets to pick. But the main thing that the main point that he had made about that is he wants he wants to run a four three. Yes. He wants four down linemen, not three down linemen, and so that because Larry Johnson's been so effective because of the way they've recruited, that was non-negotiable. And I think he left a lot of the other stuff, the specifics, up to them. But I think he's very open to the idea. And again, I've, I say this a million times. I think it's a I think it's a fundamental part of understanding the way this coaching staff thinks. It's NFL ideas in a college setting. It's it's. Um, I'm trying to think which would be the chocolate and which is the candy shell. Is it a candy shell of NFLness around a, a college chocolateness? No, it would be the NFL chocolateness oh, yeah, of the candy be the shell because it's like yes. inside, and the shell is the outside of something. So, so the college it's is like the a peanut M and M. The NFL is the peanut, oh, and then the candy coating yeah. is college. Yeah. Right? Okay, delicious either way, but I think that is a fundamental way to understand this. Again, Ryan Day offensively wants to run NFL plays from college formations, and defensively they want to be able to understand and attack college spread offenses, keep things simple, but also apply some NFL principles, for instance, this pattern matching defense and not just playing straight man and varying the coverages and disguising them a little bit. Let's talk about this a little bit and with the uh, knowledge that – we're not experts on these teams, but it's a good question. Um, oh, by the way, someone this person also tweeted at the end of their tweet at the end of their text. I align completely with Doug. I don't trust Madison and think every single good thing the defense has done is Halfley's doing. Every bad thing is Madison's fault. So it's not just me. But the question, does this weekend's matchup between Michigan and Wisconsin mean anything in terms of showing you which team could challenge Ohio State? This is a huge game. I think you could argue that at the moment it might look like these are the two best teams left on Ohio State's schedule. Um, they are two of the games that I picked Ohio State to lose before the season. I think Wisconsin has looked like the best team in the West. Uh, I think Michigan has looked like it hasn't found itself yet. And so to me, this is huge. I believe I was the only person on this panel to pick Wisconsin to win the West. I think you're like the only person in America to pick Wisconsin yeah. to win the West. I thought Wisconsin was so slept on coming into the season, and I think they're showing it. One of the things they're showing right now, um, because they were another team that had to make a step forward on defense. That was something that lagged behind with them last year. They had to get better, and so far I think they have. The number one team in the nation in terms of rushing yards allowed per game, Wisconsin Badgers. Number two team in the nation in terms of yards per carry allowed, 0.93. Wisconsin Badgers, and the number one team is the Michigan State Spartans. Now, again, that's only three games, and there are a lot of things that can play into that in terms of what their opponents are stronger at, et cetera, et cetera. But that's one thing. I, this is a, you know, I want to see if, if, if Wisconsin's for real, I think they can come out and um, stifle Michigan. Can you come out and, and shut down a team that is obviously having – you know, two weeks ago, we, they were off last week, but two weeks ago showed that they're having some, some issues on offense. Can you come out and, and shut them down? Because I think that's the kind of thing. Th- those are the kind of teams that could eventually give a team like Ohio State trouble, a team that can run the ball consistently and a team that can stop the run consistently and can put pressure on Justin Fields. So just for the sake of saying it, Wisconsin is beating its opponents 100 to nothing right now. Like no one They have not given up a point. A single point yet. They've now, played Central Michigan – and uh, you, South Florida. Yeah, so that, that yeah, that is the perspective of like they really haven't played anybody. Michigan, on the other hand, has given up twenty one points in both of its games. Michigan needs to get it. It's like 
obviously they're being, like Cleveland.com, our poll, we picked Michigan. A lot of people picked Michigan to win the Big Ten this year. Well, right now they're not looking like a team who's even going to get to the Big Ten championship game. Like they, For all sense of purpose, they need to get their act together. They just haven't played well at all. Like Shea Patterson hasn't looked like a guy. I don't even before. know who their best quarterback is right now. Shea right. Patterson is hurt. They, I don't know if they know who their best quarterback is right now, Yeah, so which I, is not a great place to be. No, That'd be not. Jim Harbaugh. Hey! Yeah. So I, th- I think for, Ohio, for from a Michigan perspective, is Michigan as good as people thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season? This no, is, they are no, not. I mean, like, but this is a they're not. But this is a game where they can get, start to turn that those like those thoughts around. And Wisconsin, this could be a statement game for a team who hasn't played anybody yet. So, so I, I will say uh, two things on Wisconsin. One is. I mean, obviously, Wisconsin not running the triple option, but like if Michigan couldn't handle Army, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin might run Jonathan Taylor 40 times right down their throat. Yeah, I would. And the second thing is, totally fits one of my, speaking of stands, uh, I was an anti stan of, of Wisconsin last year. I thought they were overrated, um, and I made everybody who thought they were good come on the podcast so I could make fun of them. It absolutely. And I didn't go hard with it like you did preseason. It makes total sense to me for Wisconsin to, in 2018, be a national title contender that was a fraud. And in 2019, be an absolute Big Ten title contender that everybody's sleeping on. That's how those programs yeah. work. Yeah. That's how the Wisconsin's and the Northwestern's and maybe the Nebraska's of the world work. Most of the time, the thing about what makes Ohio State different is Ohio State, you put expectations on them and they rise to them. Almost, almost every other team in this conference, the act of putting expectations on them lessens their chances of reaching them. The minute, and I'm not joking, and I'm not saying it, but it's just because nobody else does the frickin' poll. The minute the Cleveland.com poll came out and said Michigan's the Big Ten favorite, I think Michigan's chances of actually winning the Big Ten legitimately went down. And the minute Nebraska got picked to win the West— their chances of actually winning it went down, and Wisconsin's went up. And I'm not joking, because that's how those teams operate. Ohio State brings in five-star kids, puts them in a spotlight, and makes them deal with it. A lot of these other programs, they have a much greater chance of succeeding if they feel like they have a chip on their shoulder or they're under the radar. Well, I genuinely believe, though, that the reason why Nebraska was... One of the main reasons why Nebraska was a Vogue pick. Number one, yes, they have Adrian Martinez. They played better down the stretch last season. They also had the most favorable schedule of the top contenders in the West. <coughs> Wisconsin did not. But I think Wisconsin is just top to bottom the most talented team of but all of But they're teams. playing Michigan. They also have to play Ohio State. Right. To your point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they, they had the toughest road to potentially win the West. And that may ultimately prevent them from winning the West. Because if you can't beat those crossover teams... You can't, but it's still, I, I still just think that that's the most talented team top to bottom, but this is a week for them to kind of prove it. They get to play this game at home. They get to go out and maybe kind of set the the narrative for their season a little bit in this next game. I, I have no idea, as I've, as I've said before, um, I'm trying to catch up on Better Call Saul. Um, I'm at middle school cross country meets. I don't watch college football if you aren't paying me to watch it. So I have not watched Michigan or Wisconsin, but I think Wisconsin's going to win. Entertaining without information. Who do you guys think is going to win? I'm going to go Wisconsin just because, like, Michigan hasn't proven to me that they can win a team, beat a good team. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think the fact that it's at home, um, I would, 
I don't know though. I, I, I there, there's a part of me though that that sees how much talent Michigan has. The other thing is they had a lot of stuff to figure out in the off season too, or a lot of things that a lot of turnover since last season too. Not not with their head coach, but with other parts of that team. Um, well, we're supposed to help though. Like that right. offense was supposed to cater to Shea Patterson. Right, and so now it's the exact opposite. With a bye week, does that come more into form? I I, I do like the Badgers. Um, but I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't rule out Michigan being able to win this game, and and maybe start turning back towards what they ultimately. Because again, why were people picking Michigan this year? I don't think it was all the questions they had about Ohio State. I think they, they think they legitimately thought that there was a good collection of talent on. Or I certainly did at Michigan. Um, so can will that be proven true? Will it rise, or will will this be a week where they're um, shortcomings are exposed even more. I mean, the one thing, uh, again, the, the, identi- and the identity discussion of things, nobody in the Big Ten has an identity like Wisconsin, year to year. Right. You know, it's like, oh, how's Wisconsin going to beat Michigan? You know exactly how they're going to beat them. I don't know how Michigan's going to beat Wisconsin. Michigan's going to have to be something yeah. it hasn't been yet, right. where for Wisconsin to win, all they have to do is be themselves. We will be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back here on Buckeye Talk. I, we, we said we'd do a little nonsense this week. Again, I don't think we've said the M-word yet. Have we said the M-word yet in the podcast? Miami, Ohio. We have not. They're it, playing it Ohio not, That name did not come up much in the press conferences we had today, which was Ryan Day, two assistant coaches, and four players. And that's and fine. I, don't, I, think the name, I think I heard the name Miami of Ohio once. And that's okay. And that's okay. Um, that's fine. Miami, Ohio will get their check, and they'll have a great experience, and everybody will go home happy. Action. We before we said we wanted to talk about fast food restaurants that you would smush together, like Taco Bell and KFC, to make the perfect combo. I also put that out in the text question. Uh, this person from the six one four said, "Easy combination: Popeye spicy chicken with KFC sides." I think that's a very important part of the smushing together discussion because you have to think about what's my main, what are my sides, best of both worlds. So I think I think even though it's two chicken things now Popeyes has good sides too has a good variety right, um, but I thought that was an interesting thing. I made a list. I made my list. We'll get to some more from the texters. I made my list of my top five smushed together fast food restaurants. But before I go, do you guys have one or two that you would ideally create? Well, as I was, I was the one who threw this out. By the way, as like a good podcast topic, and and over the past week, as I thought about it, um, one of the ones that jumped into my head was. Whatever chicken place you wanted to say, KFC, Popeyes, that part of it doesn't really matter to me that much. And then Arby's on the other side. You get the Arby's curly fries with that. You can have a roast beef sandwich with the kind of sides you get from a a fried chicken place. What this made me sad, it made me sad to remember this, though, because if you guys remember, you may be too young to remember this, but if you go back to, like, the mid-'90s, what I just described to you was what Hardee's was as a restaurant. Oh yeah, they were a great roast beef place, and they were they had really good fried chicken, like oddly really good fried chicken for because they, and they they not always had fried chicken, they just for a while decided to have fried chicken and it was really good and you could go get roast beef and fried chicken and actually had the best um, probably probably the best fast food chicken sandwich I've ever had back then too. What are you doing, Hardee's? Why'd you there. give up? And now they're they're terrible. They're it's just I mean their burgers might be fine, but they're just another burger place. I thought they had a real distinct identity. Um, and then they merged with Carl's Jr. and they became what they are now, the stupid thing with the big face, the 
the cartoon thing. The commercial I thought you were talking about me for a second. The stupid thing with the big face. I was face. looking at him. Yeah. It, was a, it was a safe assumption, but this time My I name's was Doug, Nathan. <laughs> stupid thing. It's not. So um, that was what jumped into my mind was that I think that would be my uh, Frankenstein monster that I would put together, uh, the fried chicken place with Arby's. But it makes me sad because it existed. And as many great things in society come to pass, uh, we, didn't, we didn't appreciate it. We didn't know what to mm. do with it. We squandered it. We had it right there at our fingertips, um, and we blew it. I have no idea. I've never had Hardee's before in my life, so I don't know. See? The younger generation deprived. I don't know. What, what All right. What's yours, right? Stephen? I have three. Um, and my first one, it's not necessarily like, like yeah, they're together. It's because I want to put things from one restaurant on my stuff from another restaurant. That's the whole point. Um, I want Chipotle, but I want like Piata's like basil pesto sauce. Yeah. In my burrito. So that's my first one is Chipotle. And Piata is just the Italian Chipotle. Yeah. So those so are two like good combinations. Together. Zaxby's and Bojangles. What does Bojangles have? It's like uh, it's like New Orleans, like Cajun food. Kind of. But it's got like this chicken biscuit. It's probably the greatest chicken biscuit I've ever had. Are there Bojangles around here? No, they're like in North Carolina. Okay. Because Zaxby's isn't around here either. It's not. I like Zaxby's. I we have Zaxby's in Indiana. Really? Why did you move? Why did you <laughs> take this job? We have canes. We have canes. But yeah, I, I yeah, wish Zaxby was like canes. I had Zaxby for the first time on a drive to Alabama, which I'm not going to get into that story today. But Zaxby's and Bojangles together mainly because I would want the Zaxby's piece of chicken and the Bojangles biscuit. And it would be the greatest thing I've ever had in my life. And then the last one is canes and Popeyes. I just really want the cane sauce with my Popeyes. Oh. Because the cane sauce is next level. Yeah, but like it's just chicken fingers. So if it was with Popeyes, it's heaven and a heart attack, but it's okay. All right, I one I like made mine almost as much uh, for the names as I smushed them together as anything. So my number five is McDunkinolds, which is what? What do you guys think McDunkinolds is? McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, so I can go to McDonald's, get the Dollar Diet Coke. And then when I'm done with my meal, I can have a donut. Because I like a donut as a dessert. I've often I've talked about this. Donuts need to be marketed better in the morning, their breakfast, at night. They're a mini cake dessert. Donuts are marketed improperly. And all donut places are missing out on a whole thing. When you're going to get ice cream, you should also be thinking about, well, maybe I want a mini, a little mini cake. And they missed the boat on that, but I would want that with my McDonald's. I want to point out two things. Number one, when we were people or wonder why we're so obese as a society, we rarely bring up the fact that like 85% of our breakfast food is just dessert. Oh, yeah, yeah. Waffles, no, yeah. Pancakes, oh. It's all just dessert. I'd like three apples so, for breakfast. So there's that. And number two, if you're eating a lot of donuts, I think you're fooling yourself with the Diet Coke. Well, here's the thing. That is a misperception. And and I so I'm diabetic, so yes. I shouldn't be eating the donuts to begin with. <laughs> that's that's but part of my point. Honestly, like a donut, if a donut is like 30 carbs, like a large Coke is like 50 carbs, and if I'm drinking like two large Cokes, like it is more than unbelievable. Carbs in a donut, isn't it? Eh, depends what kind of donut. I'm just saying, like I know people say that it's like I know it's like an Andrew Dice Clay thing. It's like hey, you get a Big Mac and a large fries and a Diet Coke, and it's like actually the regular soda. Has so much sugar in it oh, and so many just, carbs. I drink diet It is like too, next level. Yeah. Um, by the way, I also need to get to our spare change discussion, which I started by tweeting about how much joy I get from 
using 10 dimes and eight pennies to buy a Diet Coke at McDonald's. And I tweeted that like five days ago. And today, the actual McDonald's account tweeted back at me and said, one cup holder for change, one cup holder for the Diet Coke. So that is a fast food account with 3.5 million followers. So shout out to that 21-year-old intern. Yeah, but that's the kind of sway we have here at Buckeye Talk. They know that we are tastemakers on the fast food circuit. And that McDonald's is trying to get in with us. We've had Chili's try to get in with us. I think Wendy's has been. We changed lives. Number four is King Popeyes. Burger King? Which I want Burger King onion rings with my Popeyes. Because I like onion rings. And I like the Burger King onion rings because they're fake. Because it's just like onion flavor. I don't even want the real onion in there. I like the, uh, the onion rings with the chicken. Three, and this is, a, this is not really, doesn't, isn't really fair, is Rooster's Hut. Because I was trying to figure out where to put the Pizza Hut breadsticks as a side or a great side to almost anything. But I wanted it to be side, a side to wings. So I said roosters for the wings. You could go to Wingstop. Um, you could go to Wings Over. But what I will not tolerate, and I know some people are going to say, well, Pizza Hut has wings. If you're eating wings no. at Pizza Hut, you have given up on life. Yeah. I don't want to eat pizza at a wings place, and I don't want to eat wings at a pizza place. So I went real wings from a wings place and Pizza Hut breadsticks as a side. You almost could put Pizza Hut breadsticks as a side with anything, but I decided to do that. That's my third. My second is Wenda Express. Wendy's and Panda? So I want the I want some good Asian food and then I want a frosty at the end. Or I want to be able to get like an egg roll with my hamburger at Wendy's. I would I would love um, I would combine Panda Express with like steak and shake or something. I want twenty four hour Chinese food. I want to be able to yeah, at like midnight or two AM be able to get Chinese food. I that's think my you- that's my thing. Like why isn't there a Chinese food? place that i can get like it would be the best like if you were on a college campus and you got people spilling out of bars and it's 1 a.m 3 a.m a lot of those people right. who are going to get burritos going to get whatever they would take a big thing of lo mein they take some fried rice but and i some will orange say chicken or I, I, have whatever. you guys had this issue at panda express often when i go to panda express they don't have any food ready no it's like uh it's like my daughter wants this the, the beef and broccoli and they're like that'll be 16 minutes and it's like are you kidding me yeah. sometimes i think they're out of their most popular things but, but I think that is part of the issue of why that kind of food would be harder to serve at 2 o'clock in the morning because you'd have it. to keep it hot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you'd either be con- – it's easy to fry up a burger real quick. I don't oh, know awful. if it's as easy to keep the, the Asian but, food going. Well, but, but they do buffets where it sits there all True. day. And is it good? It's fine. <laughs> it's good enough. By the way, tell I'm me if this is – I'm not dead yet. So Wendy's added a new spicy chicken salad that they had taken away the spicy chicken salad. And I went the other day and they added a new spicy chicken salad. It's actually even better. But when I pulled up to get it, um, they said it was going to take a while. So they had me pull up to the front of the drive-thru and I was sitting there so long waiting that I shut off my car, got out and went in the restaurant and said, this food is – this is taking so long I could have gone and gotten real food and like made a scene. Is that an appropriate reaction when, like, the drive-through? You were sitting there for five minutes. For five minutes? Yeah, but like, you pull up. It's like, oh, sorry, we're, you're gonna have to wait, and then you pull up and you're waiting for the thing, and you're waiting for like five or six minutes. It's a drive-through. I'm driving through. I'm not driving. It's not a drive stop. So you're talking about five minutes from the time that you pull up to the to the secondary. window. To, you've already paid, and then they ask yes. you to pull up to the side thing. Yes. Well, you shouldn't have to pay until they bring the food out. 
I thought it was appropriate. Seems seems a little fast. It seems like a, a, a quick trigger to me. Might have been seven minutes. Okay, I'm a crazy person. Number one, and mostly for the name, is Chick-Potle. No. Yeah. <laughs> you get a burrito and a side of nugs. You don't want, I want the nugs. You turn the Chick-fil-A nuggets into a side. You want nuggets with a burrito? Yes. Hmm. When you treat, you turn an entree into a side. That's next level. Well, you thinking. know it's two different types of chicken, right? I'm good. Right. Chick-fil-A goes with everything. I had another one, and it's not. It's kind of cheating because the second thing I'm mixing it with is not technically a fast food place, but it was combining Taco Bell with actual Mexican food, like good, real Mexican food. Like if I can go and get like not the Taco Bell taco, which is maybe that's meat, maybe it's not, um, lettuce and cheese. If I can go get a real taco with onions and cilantro and I can get it in 30 seconds and it costs 69 cents or whatever, that would be a, a great innovation. Because I love my mother. I'm going to say I want to mix what my mother made on Sunday with what she'll make on Monday. That is that is kissing too. Does she listen to this? Yeah. I love you, mom. It's nice that you love your mom. Um, she's going to make it for you anyway. I know. Whether you, whether you go out of your way to be nice to her on the podcast, <laughs> she's still going to make your food. She's going to be nice to my mother. Um, from the 845, I don't know what Al Washington and Madison have done, but Pete Warner was a monster on Saturday. In my opinion, there's improvement, but I can't put my finger on it. Um, he's got a big neck. I, I, I mean, it is. I think he's more confident. He got stronger. I think that's helping him against the run. He retained his speed against the pass. I just think he's more physically ready to be a playmaker, and he's more mentally ready to be a playmaker. And again, there were multiple guys that were thrown off by the linebacker coaching last year. And you had a really good conversation on Tuesday, Nathan, talking with Al Washington when he was at the podium about how he has reached Baron Browning. I think to various degrees, he's reached all of these guys. I don't know that Malik Harrison needed to be reached as much, but I think Pete Warner... And Baron Browning both needed to be reached, and I think he's done that. Nine sacks each. Well, I think we were talking about this in a different context last week, but it's like I, I think it builds. I think, and it probably happens even in the in the off season. You're seeing it in the spring when they're doing workouts. I mean, a guy tells you to do something, and the result is positive, then you believe more the next thing he tells you. Um, I, I think if you were to go back to last season, the things that were happening on Saturdays, there was probably a connection to some of the things that were happening Tuesday and Wednesday. And if, if those things get corrected on Tuesday, Wednesday, I think the confidence of the players on the field helps is improved on Saturday. I don't think Bill Davis connected with college linebackers because he was an NFL head coach, and I think we saw the results on the field. I think Al Washington, much like Luke Fickle, has something about him that allows him to connect with these guys. Technique matters. All that teaching matters, but the connection to get a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old to believe in himself – is a real thing, and I don't think these linebackers believed in themselves last year, partly because of the scheme, but partly the way they were coached. And I think Al Washington has flipped the script on that immediately. You can tell. All of these Al Washington put something off. All these linebackers we've talked to, well, and especially I would say Werner and Borland, conversations I've had with them or heard them overheard, uh, they're talking about comfort and they're talking about confidence. They feel comfortable out there. They feel like they know what they're supposed to do, and they're in a position to do it, and then they are confident in their abilities to go out and execute. Tyler Feeney in the 3-3-0. My question this week is about Justin Fields. He's been really good and has exceeded everybody's expectations to this point. That being said, while he's good, he hasn't popped. He's flashed here and there, the long TV run, some of the cross-field throws, but he hasn't completely popped like J.K. Dobbins or Chris Olave. 
when can we expect him to pop? Do you agree with that premise, Stephen, that he has not popped? No, I just think the way you have to view him popping and the way the guy before him popped are two different ways. 225 and, like, 40 rushing yards is going to be, like, a really solid day for Justin Fields. And if he's doing that every single week, there's no problem with that. Like, if you're expecting some type of 400-yard passing game, I mean, it's probably not going to happen unless they throw the ball 40-plus times, which they're not going to do. I mean, I think one of the things, if you're in rhythm, you don't pop as much. He did have that play where he scrambled and directed traffic and, and hit yeah. Olave the one time, right? Yeah, and I also think that, that popped has a different definition for everyone. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what he means by popped um, because he means yeah, he's had big plays. He's had the, the long touchdown run on the first drive of his Ohio State career. Um, other, other moments like that. Uh, the other thing to remember sometimes is there's other really big playmakers in this offense, so it doesn't always have to be him. But I think what I think, again, popped is so generic of a term to use. So, again, I don't know what they mean, but I think and we, this, this is a, we keep coming back to this topic, but until he has to go out and win them a game, that's going to be kind of the, the difference-making point, I think. And the thing that I think is the most important point with Justin Fields, because it's what I was anticipating more of, is mistakes. Yes. So I think, touchdowns, no interceptions. I think, like, in control, Justin Fields, who is not making any mistakes, like, that pops to me. Because it's not popping bad. So the lack of bad yeah. pops, to me, is its own good pop. Yeah, that's a fair point to make. And, and I think... We don't see him out there. There's never been a time where you think he wasn't ready for that moment, yeah, or that play, or that pass. Which there, would there be have reasonable. been some mistakes. Yeah. There have been some passes he wishes he had back. There have been some flat out, I think, bad plays. But there's never a time where you were like, "Oh, that's because he's being asked to do more than he's capable of." I think he looks, like you say, just very much in control of the situation most of the time. Um, and, but that's why we keep coming back and saying that's why it'll be great when this good for this team when it sees some adversity has to fight its way out of an adverse situation. And I think that applies to him more than it applies to anyone else on the team. We do. I do have some comments from the texters um, about having change in your car. This is what I tweeted the other day. I derive pleasure from buying a Diet Coke at McDonald's and paying for it with 10 dimes and 8 pennies from my car's change dish. Does the act of collecting and then using spare change bring you joy? What percent of people do you think said yes, the act of using spare change brings them joy? 85. 70%. I thought I was shocked it was that high. No, it does. I actually have like a thing in my car. But see, because I thought you millennials didn't use cash. I thought you Venmoed everything. We do, but like we're broke. So you do use change. How do you use your change? I have like, okay, so this is what I really have. I have this like little basketball piggy bank that I like stole. From my dad's like, like childhood home. I don't know. If, I don't think he knows I have it until right now. Well, now your mom's gonna tell him yeah, because yeah, your mom is yeah. listening right I now. I don't. They, they know now. But like, I use. That's why that. he said the thing about the dinner was to butter yeah. her up, yeah. and get away so, with this. There's change in that, but then I also have this big like bear that I've had since I was like seven, and like anytime I fill it up, I'll go like turn it into actual cash. But it's not in your car. The one there's one in my car that yeah, yeah I use as like spare change because like I was on I was in college, so like you have to pay for parking at places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm Park. not using my real Can't money. Can't you Venmo your parking? Can't you Venmo parking? I'm not using well, my become, real money from my bank account to pay for parking. But it's becoming rarer and rarer that if you're if, – A, if they're even meters, yeah. that they take coins. And then B, like where I live in Columbus now, 
there's parking that you have to pay for on the street you have to do with the app. You can't yeah, park. That's true. But so like, I went to Kent. And right. Like, they're still like, right. we're like 45 years behind. Yes. So I don't, I, I, there is change in my car, but it's, I mean, I hardly ever pay with cash. And it's, it's, there's a couple pennies like laying in a tiny little side tray, but that's it. Like I don't, no, I don't there, stockpile change in my car. So 70% said totally get it. 21% said no, what's wrong with you? And 9% voted for unfollowing old man. But Douglas DeLillo, who uh, I think has a love-hate relationship with me, jumped on this like uh, – he's been one of our most loyal listeners. I haven't heard from him in a while. He was on this so fast. He had said, I had a $5 bill in my wallet and a bunch of change in my truck. My McDonald's order yesterday was six eighty six. I couldn't swing it because I was missing another dime and I had to use my credit card. It's still haunting me almost 23 hours later. And I like the people who responded and said, when you pay with, your, with change, it feels like it's free, which I think is a very – it's like a true thing. I like doing yeah. that. Like It's like my Diet Coke it's was not your free. Real, it's not your real money. Yeah. Um, just, well, yeah, but that's it's such a fallacy because if you're just paying with a card, then you don't have this money sitting around just collecting nothing, collecting dust in your car. It's actually, it's actually working for you in, in terms of me. gaining interest or something. Yeah, but working. you can't jangle it. Um, can't jangle interest? <laughs> yeah, you can't jangle. From the 480, no to change in the car. He wants Panda Bell, a Chinese-Mexican mashup. Don't knock it till you try it. If you end up in Phoenix for a bowl game, go to Chino Bandito for a jade red chicken quesadilla. That sounds like a Chinese-Mexican mashup. That probably mm. would be good. That's what we were kind of talking about. We'd like those mashups like that. Um, let's see. Spare change is good for fast food. Defense looks great, so can't complain. One of the Michigan-Wisconsin uh, prediction. Let's see. More spare change. I think you have been a little unfair to Madison from the 440. Um, I believe he, Ryan Day hired Madison to ease Jeff Halfley's transition. Um, I have a spare change system from the 7040. I work in an office with about 12 people, and I always volunteer to go pick up lunch. However, my rule is I keep the change. If they have paper money change, they get back any coins, and they get back any coins, I get to keep it. I just cashed it in to pay my fantasy football league of $100. I get about $100 every six months or so for my spare change and lunch run. That just sounds like theft. No, no, no. Because I, I had a very similar <laughs> setup. When I was in college, I worked at the Chicago Tribune, and on Friday and Saturday nights, the part-time guys like us would make the food run for all of the guys on the coffee desk. And so very similar thing. Like if you gave me – if your bill came to like $9 and you gave me a 20 you were going to get substantial change back. But if your bill came to $9 and some change and you gave me a 10 I was just – there was nothing more needed to be said. And – Number, so number one, yes, you got to put all of that change that was collected by everyone towards the food order, the portion of the food that you were buying. So you typically were putting in less than the full cost of your meal. And on Fair. top of that, on top of that, there's a great little place up there, at least there was, a chain of them called Pockets. It was like um, calzones and little like these pocket sandwiches. I don't know how to better describe them. But we would order from there quite often. And they had like a card that was like buy 10 get one free or whatever and like every second time we went there i was getting something free because i had one of those cards and every time i went there they were putting i was putting the entire newsroom or entire sports department's order on my card on my little punch card so every other time you were getting a free one because it would fill up so fast also theft no no that's just <laughs> all that that's just resourcefulness <laughs> finessing yes, yes. Um, I was looking for my game notes, and I couldn't find them. If you guys can look up the stats on this, the rushing and passing stats 
from our guy Shelby on the text string. Hey, Doug, are you surprised that three games into the season the offense is averaging 20% more rushing than passing yards? Um, and then he asked that, that true or false, should five-star running backs be lined up to play on this offense? I think it should be true, and I think it's not. What is the stat breakdown of rushing yards and passing yards? So they're averaging 200, 271 rushing yards and 228 passing yards. Are you surprised by that breakdown through three games? No, no. That's, that's what it should be. Yeah. And especially when you factor in, you're talking about total yardage. How many passes has Ohio State thrown in the fourth quarter in three games? Yeah, but also, even like if this, these were playing against teams where like they're playing in the fourth quarter, like Justin Fields is going to be around maybe two hundred to two fifty in that range somewhere, and then you have to like you got what Dobbins is going to run for if he's getting you hundred yards a game. Master T is going to have some yards there, and then Justin Fields as a runner is going to have some yards as well. So when you add that all up. Yeah, they're probably going to have more rushing yards than passing yards. And Justin's going to run more. What has Justin run for so far this season? How many total yards rushing? 114. Which is not, I mean, that's 40 a game. That includes sack yardage. Right. But but when we get to look at the final stats, that that will include that. He's going to run more. He's going to run more in the games they need him. He just They don't need him to do it right now, and we've talked about that. Right. He's not doing as many keeps. They're certainly not calling very many just straight-up quarterback runs. I think that that will go up, so I think it could even get more towards rushing but again i'm not surprised at all because i think as as we said before the season you've got to throw out last year you've got to throw out your perception of ryan day any perception of ryan day that is based on dwayne haskins you have to get rid of and i think when you look at 2017 and what he did there that's more reasonable but i'm not surprised by where this has gone chuganov and hoke have combined to attempt eight passes Uh, i think as you see more competitive games i think the disparity will shrink I think well, yeah. it'll it'll get closer to even, but I, I still think what we're seeing right now is is the usage we would have expected coming into the season. Uh, from the 706, Doug, you made great points last week about the 2016 team. I felt great about them, too, after the Oklahoma game. In your opinion, how much better is Justin Fields at this stage in his career than JT? Is Justin better? Would you take fifth-year JT over Fields right now? Fields is upside. Fields is upside. We have to see what Justin is like when it gets rough. I think it's possible that Justin is better and maybe substantially better. We have a tendency to, in hindsight, underrate JT. I think we overcriticized him at times in the moment. I think we underrate him in the past. I think it, his legacy is hard to evaluate because Dwayne came in and blew the doors off this offense and off this record book right after JT left. But as we get further away from Dwayne and we see, once again, more of what like a normal offense looks like, once we get past Justin and we're in the Jack Miller era and the Kyle McCord era and whatever sixth grader is going to be Ohio State's quarterback eight years from now, we'll have a deeper understanding of what JT really did um, and I think a greater appreciation from it. But I do think when you're talking up, up, upside, which again, when you're talking Alabama and Clemson and not just getting to the playoff but winning it, when you think about 2016 JT, and Steven, you said this earlier, I don't think Justin Fields is getting shut out in the playoff. No. So that might be unfair. That might be an unfair thing to lay on JT because JT, what happened is JT pulled rabbits out of his hat and dragged this young team practically by himself at times into the playoff. He dragged them to an overtime win at Wisconsin. You know, he dragged them to a win against Michigan. He, he, his heart and his toughness dragged this team into a place they didn't belong. And his reward for that is to, three years later, have me say that Justin Fields, three games into his career, is better than you. Yeah. So that is JT's reward. That is his burden to carry. It's unfair. 
But I think if we're talking upside, which is what we have to talk about, yeah, I think I'd rather have Justin. I think right now it's hard to see Ohio State still not being 3-0 and if Chris Chuganov was the starting quarterback. I think, I think they would still be 3-0 and right now. They wouldn't look nearly as good. No, but I no think they, they wouldn't lose. They would have won three games. So again, I think the thing that we're all kind of waiting for is to, in terms of some of these conversations, these comparisons, is Justin Fields has to go win you a football game. Justin Fields has to go lead a drive with a game on the line, with a, with a season on the line, or with with a a significant outcome on the line. Um, so until he does that, it, it's difficult some, in some ways to compare him to those people who have. I will say that everything we hear, and it's it, it kind of ramps up a little bit each week, because all these coaches, these players, they keep getting questions about Fields' intangibles or his leadership or just kind of the presence he has, and they all, again, speak very effusively about it. Like, the, the, they seem to have really bought in to who he is and, and the guy he is, the leader he is, and so I'm starting to think that my assumption is that when he's pressed in those situations, you will still see poise you will still see execution, that he's not going to be, again, the moment won't seem bigger than he is. But until we actually see it, it is hard to make some of those comparisons. And I, and I will say, JT wasn't perfect, but the moment was never too big for him. Right. That is a great characteristic and a great piece of analysis about a quarterback. That throwing, running, decision-making, everything, but like if you're going to have six or seven ch- boxes to check, I would put, is the moment too big for you as one of those boxes? When you get into those games, and a lot of it's it, there's five star guys all over the place. There's really really good coaches on both sidelines, but poise and charisma are very often, especially when we're talking about a position like quarterback, can very often be the decisive elements of who wins that game and who doesn't. From Chris in the six one four, he has spare change in his car to put air in his tires. He wants to combine Sonic and Taco Bell, and he wants us to say which team we're most looking forward to Ohio State playing. He says for him it's Wisconsin. The team he's most that we, we're we're most eager to see Ohio State play. That's on their schedule. I'm going to stick with Nebraska just because that's the only team I'll pick to beat them this year. <laughs> it's becoming Wisconsin for me just because again I want to see what Ohio State does in a game where you may have an, an offense that can execute, especially in the run game, especially with someone as talented as Jonathan Taylor, keep Ohio State's offense off the field. So Ohio State's offense has to maybe do more with less opportunity, and Ohio State's defense has to find a way to get that well-executing of an offense off the field. Because I think, I think of – I agree with both of you. Like, I really want to see – if Adrian Martinez like doesn't have it, and if and if Adrian Martinez looks terrible against Ohio State, Ohio State's going to have a lot to do with that. Yeah. But I would like to see Ohio State tested by like a dynamic quarterback. So that's what I thought Adrian Martinez was going to be before the year. If he doesn't look that way, then I'm not interested. But of all the things in the Big Ten, I think if you said right now, what is the surest thing in the Big Ten right now? And it's probably the answer that would have been before the season too. It's the Wisconsin running game with Jonathan Taylor. In a world where I think the Big Ten has stunk to a large degree so far, and I wrote that this week with what the way Penn State has struggled and Iowa struggled and Michigan struggled and Nebraska lost, Jonathan Taylor and Wisconsin are a sure thing. And so that makes me – I know what they're good at, and I want to see if Ohio State can stop it. I would say – I think they're a sure thing as far as we know what their approach is going to be, but like – the last couple of times that they've played Ohio State, the running game hasn't showed up. 
No, I mean, they stopped. I mean, Melvin Gordon was a Heisman finalist, and, and like, Ohio State shut him down. And then the same thing happened to Jonathan Taylor in the Big Ten Championship game. Like, True. Literally, they averaged the same amount of yards. So, so it's this Jonathan Taylor. Like, is this Jonathan Taylor better? Is You know, two years later, is this is this Ohio yeah, State is, team better? Yeah, yeah, is the running, like, it's like if history repeat, if history has shown <laughs> itself, having a Heisman-level running back going against Ohio State hasn't worked for Wisconsin. And Wisconsin there's a lot, I mean, because a lot of times Wisconsin, just across the board when it comes to talent, doesn't stack up. And right. so, like, the one thing they do, it's right. like, wow, you have a bunch of big guys who can block and your running back is pretty good. Here's Baron Browning. Here's Jeffrey Okuda off the edge. Here's Chase Young. Here's How's that Ty- work for Tyree you? Tyree Smith will be So I, I do think that's like, a point well taken that – even as much as that, I think we would agree, you know, even as much as that is a sure thing, Ohio State also almost assuredly has stopped it yeah. more times than not. Um, I think Madison deserves a lot of credit from the 248. I think a good portion of the linebacker play is not just Washington, but also Madison. I think that makes sense. The front seven gap fundamentals are really good as well. I view him like Kevin Wilson, more behind the scenes, but if you left, you would feel it. I think that's a really good way of analyzing this because Ryan Day has always been the guy who sort of gets more credit and deserves more credit. Ryan Day is the head coach. But Kevin Wilson has been doing it for a long time. Jeff Halfley, I think, is really good. Greg Madison's been doing it for a long time. So I think that's not a I think that's an interesting comparison to make about these coaches. Yes, for the parking meters, somebody wants Chick-fil-A and Sonic mushed together in the 561 because the only thing that can make Chick-fil-A better would be car service. Um, and being open on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Chipotle KFC from somebody. Uh, Tom Anderson or Tom from Apple Valley. In the first game, the Buckeyes used the tight ends well. Do you think they'll get back to that, or will it just depend on the matchup? Are you expecting That's much up. more tight end stuff? Or well, First of all, KFC, Chipotle would not have to change its name because the C could just stand for Chipotle. Oh, yeah. What Kentucky Fried Chipotle. Um, do we <laughs> I stopped, expect... I stopped listening to the question when I had that <laughs> popped into my head. Wow. Do we expect... <laughs> do we expect more from the tight ends, or is it just going to vary? Okay, just for, let's... I think we might see it on Saturday just because they can, and it'd be good just to test some things out. So, I think it's matchup dependent. Yeah, I think it depends on what's there. You're not seeing them targeted significantly, and I think it's just it's a matter of um, I, I don't know that any of these tight ends are going to put up big numbers. Any single one of them, but we saw you know in, in week one, Rucker didn't have a you know eight catches for 120 yards, but they just executed really well and two instances where they were open, able to open something up for him. I think there's always going to be that danger, and I think there's going to be defenses that are more susceptible to it than others. I'm not just saying this because Jeremy Ruckert's dad said he listens to Buckeye talk. He did. I'd like to see a little more Ruckert in my life. Yeah. Like, uh, he ran, I mean, it was a great design in that first game. Jeremy Ruckert to load, man. Like, he is a matchup problem. And as much as we talked about it in the preseason, and I was fired up about it, and, and the idea of using a tight end like him in the slot as a different look at an H-back, um, I understand matching up each week and doing what the defense gives you. I'm, I'm here for, like, forcing it to Jeremy Ruckert a little bit more and making sure that you have a throw or two in the game plan for him every week because I think he is a problem. Well, and I also think that that has merit, and it kind of goes to what Steven was saying. Do it this week because why not put as many things on film as you can this week that you may never use again, but just it's something that teams have to take into account. And, 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 and in the case of these tight ends, it's believable. If you were to go out and start – Doing something that you hadn't done at all in the first three games just seemed completely out of character. Maybe teams wouldn't fall for it. But 
highlighting your tight ends, featuring your tight ends this week in the passing game would be something that I think teams would have to take seriously. Not just Rucker, I think Farrell as well, and Rashad Berry too. And put him at the age. Drizzy, get busy, our guy, just ripping off questions. Um, Some really good ones. He says, yes, I keep spare change in my car. I use it when I go to Wendy's and realize I forgot my wallet. Always important to have extra money in your car for when you forgot your wallet. Who gets their wallet? I don't carry a wallet around. Have you guys, I I know this song is like three years old, but I actually sing it in my head, and I only saw it like six months ago. It's the Adam Sandler song. It's called Phone Wallet Keys, and it's about how like it's all the stuff you need in your life. It's like a phone wallet keys, got my phone wallet keys. And so like that, whenever I walk out of my house now, I sing that song in my head to help me remember, I still forget my wallet all the time. Um, If you're ever (laughs) missing one of those things, you can tell it's like losing a limb. It's like, where's my phone? I don't care about my wallet. Do you have a billfold? No. You just, I mean, you just yeah, Venmo? I, I, do you I, carry I, a Venmo? Yes. No, I do have a billfold for when I'm, like, out and about and, like, doing social things. But, like, I have, like, a case that, like, can hold, like, my cards that I use on a consistent basis on my phone. So it's in the phone. Yeah, so my phone is that much more of a valuable limb. So yours is just phone keys, phone yeah. keys. If you guys haven't ever heard the Adam Sandler phone wallet keys song, Google it. It's funny on YouTube. And I don't like Adam Sandler. I find him very annoying. Really? I am not an Adam Sandler guy at all. It's a funny song. He makes, ter- he makes great, terrible movies. No, I, I think he makes bad, terrible movies. Uh, Drizzy Get Busy says, if he could combine two places, it would be Wilson Spate's apartment and a chicken coop, which I thought I thought was like a random like a funny legit, like, thing like to text about the nervous bird uh, chicken thing. Here's an actual question because Driz always gets – Driz keeps it real. Why do you think we have not seen as much Garrett Wilson as some might have expected? Is it because he didn't jump on the fumble early or is it because the top four – I mean like freshman mistakes. I mean and Rucker didn't jump on that fumble early either and we haven't seen as much of them since they didn't jump on the fumble. Um, or is it because the top four have played so well? Yeah, I don't think in, – in the case of that backwards pass, the win for the fumble, if, I remember going back and watching that play and Wilson kind of got taken out of that. At, you know, after the pass was behind him and a little bit high, the defender also took him out. His opportunity to get to the ball was not the same as Ruckert's. Ruckert's the one who, I think, made the mistake by not being more aggressive going after him, but just not having the, that awareness yet. And stuff happens, but it's exactly. a learning yeah, I, I, you know, But But I will say, it, when you make those little mistakes, it does make it more difficult to crack. I mean, there's a talented group of receivers in front of him. So, okay, maybe you want Garrett Wilson to get the ball more, but that means you're taking off somebody else who is producing. Mostly Ben Victor. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's more about what Ben Victor is doing more than it is about Garrett Wilson. Isn't doing like he, they, they called it, like, Ryan Day called that a funky play. And, okay, funky plays happen. He called a lot of things for that game funky and things that improved since then. Ben Victor is leading, he's got 11 catches for 200 yards. That's two more yards than Chris Olave. So it's like the most catches on it, most reception yards on the team. Ben Victor has been consistent, which has been his issue throughout his career. His consistency, he's been showing some consistency. And when you're showing that, there's no reason to take him off the field. Chris Olave has clearly been better than Austin Mack, so they found other ways to get Austin Mack on the field without taking Chris Olave off the field. And if if, if one play is going to change an opinion, if if that play in the gate, first game hurt Garrett Wilson's opinion, the eyes of coaches, I think him climbing the ladder and getting that touchdown in yeah. the second game would have would have restored that opinion and probably even helped it even more because I thought that was that's the kind of thing that I think everyone thinks that you can see out of Garrett Wilson and it's just a matter of getting him in position it's going to be more sporadic this year I think I don't think he's ever going he's not going to get the kind of reps that's going to make him a four or five catch a game guy but he can pop in once in a while and make those kinds of plays when those kind of when that kind of talent's coming off your bench 
uh, that makes a difference. And some of that is Austin Mack. I think is a more versatile receiver than Benjamin Victor is. Like Benjamin, like that's his Ben position. Victor's the X, and Austin Mack is moving around. Right, and so. Because Austin can move around, Olave can stay on the field longer. Ben can't move around. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, Greg in Youngstown says, I don't keep spare change. My wife won't let me have money. He says, I would combine canes with Chick-fil-A so my wife and kids can stop fighting. Um, I guess his kids, like, that's a, that's a, canes and Chick-fil-A, like, where you want to go. I can see why that would be, uh, that would be a fight. Oh, and this is, I like when uh, people just throw in, there's a stop in here. If you won't want my text anymore, you can just type stop. It's like we're rolling. Everybody's like saying nice things. They love the podcast. They're texting back and forth. And then there's a stop, and it just hurts my heart. Um, I definitely keep change around. In fact, yesterday after you mentioned it, I had to get one onion from the store, and I paid in quarters instead of breaking a 20. Um, all right. We're getting, I think, a lot of – somebody wants to combine Church's Chicken and Culver's. Steven had his first Culver's experience the other night. So we were gonna we we're gonna stop for food. It was like oh there's a he's like well we need to get a burger. I said there's a Culver's over there, and I was like we'll go over there. And so I was in one lane and I had to turn. I had to get into the next lane to make a turn, and I just like kind of looked and went. And Stephen was like oh 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 oh, <laughs> and there was like a car like speeding up in the lane, and like we almost had a rental car looking like an accordion. I got a couple road rage moments that night. Well, that's the thing too. I mean that that's my life. <laughs> Like that. Like it was late. I'm pretty sure we just wanted to go home. And like, <laughs> that's my that's my life. Um, this the, we're gonna start we're gonna start finishing up here. You guys are. I mean, the questions are great. They're almost too good. I, I don't know what to do. Um, I don't know what to do. The questions are really good. I'm reading them all. I just we can't. We just literally cannot get to them all. I want to finish with this because I want to have a little mini rant. We talked about the change. We talked about the smush together restaurants. We talked about Greg Madison. Um, the fact that Chris Olave is the only explosive receiver in the rotation, will that be a limiting factor when it comes to matching up with college football's elite from the 6-1-4? Do you believe that Chris Olave is the only explosive receiver, and do you think that, you know, as productive as these receivers have been, is that a potential limiting factor in a playoff showdown against one of the four best teams in the country? I don't think he's the only explosive receiver. I think he's the only one who's like – like, Garrett, I think, is an explosive receiver. But, like, right now it just seems like consistency over an explosive moment is winning out that battle. Um, I think K.J. Hill can be explosive. It's just the way teams have been defending the passing. The crossing routes just haven't been there as often as long with Justin Fields still developing as a passer. So, right now, because of that, Chris Olave is the only guy who's gotten consistent opportunities to show some explosiveness. I understand the question they're asking. I would also say, though, that, A, how many – explosive receivers does the team have? And again, I know that that's everyone's definition of that varies, but I mean, how many explosive receivers does every team have? And B, um, maybe Chris Olave is the only one that is quote unquote explosive, but I think we're starting to see what Chris Olave really is right now or what he could be. I'll save my rant for the end. I want to get to a couple more questions because I was paging through some more, and they're really good. This guy said, I do think you are a little biased about Greg Madison, but I would be curious if Nathan and Steven think you're being biased. You guys have had much more interactions with him. Do you think I'm biased about Greg Madison? 100%. I don't think you're as biased. That, was, you... that just like came right out of you. Yeah, you did Well, because it's not based, again, as we, as we said before, it's not based on any assessment of what he's I doing think, as a coach. Yeah. Hey, uh, Michigan guy. <laughs> I think that you have calmed down a lot since like the initial hire. Um, but, yeah, you're still biased. <laughs> um, 
This is, uh, this is uh, a good one. Hey, Doug, I've been listening to the podcast for a while and finally decided to join up. So we want to thank you in the 215. We appreciate you. If, you're, if you are a podcast listener who's feeling that right now, eh, this guy talks about text all the time. I'm not sure. I don't know. Again, 14-day free trial if you sign up. You get 14 days. You get two weeks. You get your podcast questions in, and then you can dump it. I've been dumped before. You can go read stuff on Cleveland.com slash OSU for free, too. For free. What is Ryan Day's end game? Build a college legacy like Meyer or Saban or, or eventually be a head coach in the NFL. Head coach Jay Gruden will be fired by the Redskins after the season. Uh, rumors are they might target Day as the next head coach because of his past work with Dwayne Haskins. What do you think? So I don't. nobody knows this for sure. This is my impression of Ryan Day. I think he's intrigued by the NFL. I think his... He does not actually have a personal connection to Ohio State, but he has a respect for what Ohio State is and for what Ohio State stands for in college football and that it, what it stands for is the opportunity to compete, compete at the highest level every day. And in college football, that is a rare thing. He has a young family. I think we always have to remember this. Families factor into all this stuff more than we ever thought. I think Ryan and Nina Day, in my opinion, like the idea of raising their family in this environment, you reach a point in your career where all of us do this, where you have your career and you have your family, and you have to balance that. But when you reach a point in your career, Ryan Day has, peaked, has reached the top of his career. Now, he, he could still go somewhere else, but he's no longer striving. He's at the top. And so when you're striving, sometimes your family, it doesn't take a back seat, but there are decisions that you make that your family has to go along for the ride. And families will do that. But now, the striving's over, so they can settle for a while. It doesn't mean he'll be here forever, but I don't think he's going to look for a while. And I think he wants to let his kids settle in and grow here. So I don't think – I think if, if Bill Belichick called him tomorrow and said, I want you to take over me at, at the end of this year, I think he might say no. I think he might say no to everything for the next five years, the next six years, the next eight years, because I think he wants to see what he can do here. Do well, I think he'll spend the rest of his career here? I would not be surprised if he doesn't spend the rest of his career here. But I think he wants to give it a good long shot, A, for his family, B, to see if he can build this program in his image and not in Urban Meyer's image. And to do that, you can't be here for three years because you're still playing guys that Urban recruited. You've got to give yourself a five-year shot at least. So I would give Ryan Day – he's young, man. He's just turned 40. I think Ryan Day could at least be here for eight or ten years. And then when he's 50, if a great NFL job calls – then I think that's totally on the table because he doesn't have family roots here. He doesn't have a college-first connection. This guy grew up going to Patriots games, man. He's an NFL guy from the Northeast. It's just that nobody in the Northeast plays college football at the level that Ryan Day deserves to coach at. Ryan Day can't go home because he's too good for New Hampshire and he's too good for UMass and he's too good for Boston College. And if he wants to be the best, he had to leave. And frankly, if you want the Columbus, and he said this, Columbus is about as close as you can get to Manchester, New Hampshire, and play elite college football. Because USC's not it. Florida State's not it. Alabama's not it. Clemson's not it. Texas isn't it. This is as close as you get. This is the king of the north. So they're settled. Don't be worried about him leaving. But I would would say, though, that... Get back to me in 10 years. The one thing that does make sense here is that Washington would potentially hire a head coach based simply on the fact that he had a... Had a relationship with the quarterback who they're not even playing right now, right. which seems like a terrible reason to hire a head coach. But that's probably why Washington would try to do it, because it may be the worst run franchise in professional sports. 
I agree with you, but success can change some things. So if they start having some real success, I wouldn't be surprised if he left earlier than that. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean you got to take your shot at a national title. So and then once you get that, then everything changes. But also, again, it's like one of these things. You you wait for a job like this, and you're going to throw this away to go work for Daniel Snyder, just because oh, no. that's who drafted Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. Like that's that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it, I don't. It, to me, it, it, there there are going to be opportunities. If Ryan Day like does well here, there will be those opportunities. Why take the first one if it's not the right one? That yeah. just sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. Someone's asking if we ever hear back from the voters in the Big Ten poll soon after the season. Are they lamenting their picks? Um, I don't know. I'll have to ask them. That's not a bad idea for a story. It's actually not. Track down all these idiots who voted for Michigan and see how they think. Maybe do that like through six weeks or something. <laughs> yeah, I might do that. Mid-season revote. Um, so listen, we're going to end it with this. We'll end with these two. We talked about this earlier. Let's reset on this now in the 5-1-3. Who's the legitimate Heisman contender, Fields or Dobbins? Before the season, I said Dobbins, and you guys said Fields. Has anything we've seen through three games changed anyone's mind? Um, I, would, I would maybe start to lean Dobbins because he may get an opportunity to put up the kind of numbers that will make a difference. Um, however, the, real f- the best football player on this team is Chase Young, and it's stupid to talk about an award that doesn't recognize that. Chase Young is, but in all seriousness... Um, I am 51, Justin, 49, Dobbins. And the reason why is Dobbins' numbers have been ridiculous. I don't know if he's going to – no, I'm pretty sure he's not going to continue to go for 170-plus yards every game. Like, he's eventually going to have a 70-yard game just because a defense plan, game planned well for him. How are you? Where are you guys on my 2,000-yard prediction it's at this not, point? We're still under 2,000 yeah, yards. So because <laughs> still that, stupid. Yeah, yeah, it's not. You'll guy with the big face. He runs for 2,000 yards. I think because he's a quarterback, <laughs> Justin Fields is going to have some moments where he can like solidify his Heisman candidacy, and Wisconsin might be one. Nebraska might be one. Michigan might be one. Michigan State's not looking like it's going to be one. But, like, as a quarterback, you seem to always get these games where you can legitimize that candidacy. And Dwayne Haskins did it, like, the last four games of the season. And, like, Justin Fields looks like he's going to be in that same situation. All right, we're going to run through a couple change things, and then we'll be done. I keep changing my car for two reasons, just in case I stumble upon a vending machine that's not from 2019 and still doesn't have a card reader, and to throw out the window at aggressive, angry drivers on the interstate. 615, I respect that. Yeah, well, I mean, but sometimes you got to commit a felony if somebody cuts you off on the interstate. Is it a felony <laughs> if the police don't pull you over? That's sometimes exactly right. Sometimes you have right. to have change to throw at the guy who cuts in front of you as you're trying to drive past Culver's. Sometimes, or if, it, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, what was that? <laughs> sometimes if they're slow with your salad at Wendy's, you got to have change so you can go into Wendy's and start throwing at the people. Yes, I keep spare change in my car. Great for parking meters or walking into parties and making it hail. Wow. That sounds like it would hurt. Frat boy thing I've heard. No spare change in the car. People break into cars in my neighborhood to steal change, even if it's all coins. And then there's one more very long. um, This is a nice long explanation of spare change. I do not like to keep spare change in my pocket. It sometimes makes too much noise when I'm walking and sometimes comes flying out when I pull out my car keys. I agree with that sentiment. But I occasionally do need change for parking meters, a grocery cart at Aldi, or other reasons. That's not the first person to mention a grocery cart at Aldi. Good usage. So I keep about a dollar's worth of change in an empty plastic prescription vial that lives in my glove box. Then when I need change, it's always nearby. I respect the heck out of that answer. Don't Very comprehensive. Don't jeans have the little small pocket where you can put change at? 
though. Yeah. They do. Old, like old people. Like old people jeans. jeans do. But, but nobody uses change anymore, so they don't even know that that's what it's for. Yeah. All right, so last one from the 513. Um, also, they had a good, a good thing about Dwayne versus Justin. And I think we'll have some good Dwayne versus Justin discussions as we get down the line. But they said, also just a comment, I was watching a game on TV for the first time this year, and I love being informed by your text stories in the podcast. Everything Joel Klatt said, I was like, yep, already knew that from Cleveland.com. Yeah, Joel. So, I mean, again, sometimes when you're best friends, you just get – on the same page and you sort of start thinking the same way but it's a reminder that if you guys are listening to this podcast and you're not reading cleveland.com you're not getting the full experience cleveland.com slash osu i think it's the, the time that you guys have spent together there's just been a mind meld that's taken place i mean he doesn't know that you're sneaking into his house at night and no. watching him sleep but i think still just like subconsciously think, that connection i think growing. you look at him the way he looks at gus johnson yeah well yeah Everybody loves Gus. Yes. If he, yeah. Well, oh, I do I've love Joel. I've already said this. If I could have anybody call a game that I'm playing and I want it to be Gus. And yeah. I'd be in the NBA right now if he called every single game I ever played it. And if I could eat pasta with anybody, I'd want it to be Joel Klatt. Um, Cleveland.com slash OSU. Follow us on Twitter at NWBaird, at Stephen underscore means, at Douglay Maurice. Try the text. 14-day free trial. Go to Cleveland.com slash OSU to, OSU to figure it out. Uh, what else we got coming this week? What are we writing this week? What can we tease for all these people we're trying to get to come to the site? I'll have Damon Arnett up Wednesday morning. Um, I'll have a Friday Focus this week. The, I think it's going to be something defensive-related. Um, those two jumped to mind immediately for me. We've so, got a big chase story coming at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a chase story coming. That like So, obviously, you want to read about future NFL draft picks, so look for that over the next 48 hours. And Although it's not really about football. Just read, yeah, that's true. It's, it's about it's, life. It's about life as a as a six foot five, two hundred and fifty pound man. And also, um, we're sick of aggregating other people's Heisman talk stuff, so we're going to start our own Heisman watch stuff. So check for that in the morning. And I talked to Ryan Day and his brothers and his mom and his wife um, about uh, Ryan's grandfather who passed away this summer after a long, wonderful life. Um, and Ryan and his grandfather had a very close relationship, and his grandfather was very important in Ryan Day being the head coach at Ohio State. So I will have something on that this week that you can look for. Did, so, Did you have a rant that you wanted to do? Oh, the rant was this. People, uh, you got to make sure you understand the context of your team. You're a fan. You deserve to root for your team and love your team and be excited about your team. But it's real talk time now. Ohio State is one of the six best programs in the country. They were already that going into this season, but they're one of the six best teams. They are at a different level. Understand how your team fits in the national context. And just because the Ohio State players are blowing Indiana or Miami of Ohio or maybe even Nebraska, maybe even Nebraska that I picked to beat Ohio State, if they're blowing them off the field, keep some perspective. Understand that your team is so good that you have to hold them to a high bar. The thing that has aggravated me, not from fans, but from some other people through the first part of the season is any implication that Ohio State is doing things that nobody else can do. I'm here to tell you, Georgia and Oklahoma and Clemson and Alabama and sometimes LSU are doing the same thing. Ohio State absolutely is in that conversation right now. But if you think that nobody else in the country has a better backup running back than Master Teague, open your eyes. 
That's where you are. Your team is that good. Hold them to a high standard. Chris Olave is really good. Chris Olave is not the best receiver in college football right now. Justin Fields is really good. Justin Fields is not the best quarterback in college football right now. Chase Young's the best defensive end. Yeah. Jeffrey Okuda might be the best corner, but understand the levels to this and understand how good you are, but how good you have to be. Don't get out over your skis thinking that Ohio State is unique in some of these things. They're rare, but they're not unique. So don't don't believe that what you're seeing on a Saturday, Alabama and Clemson. And Clem, Trevor Lawrence has thrown five picks, and Stephen wrote about that. Justin Fields, in a lot of ways, has been better than Trevor Lawrence so far. But let's not start like let's not start lifting the national championship trophy yet. But absolutely, let's start talking about your team and understanding your team at the highest level. Ohio State's at the highest level. They're not at the top of the highest level. So just make sure you appreciate your team in the right way because it's just – it's not fun to be unrealistic. I, that's, I think it's fun as a fan to love your team and support your team but at the same time be realistic about your team. And I think that's why a lot of people like Cleveland.com and like this podcast because we're not haters but we try to keep it real and we're telling you – Ohio State is right there. But if you want to be great and you want to win this thing again, do you know how good Ohio State was in 2014? Do you know how good they were? That's they how good, good they were these last guys... year. They were a really good football team last year. And it year. wasn't enough. No. It wasn't even enough to get into the playoff conversation. It's really hard. It's really hard. And they have a shot. They absolutely have a shot. But do not start making assumptions about your team when you're talking about them at the high con. If you want to start making assumptions about Nebraska or Wisconsin or how could anyone ever have picked anyone else to win the Big Ten, that's great. But that's not the end goal. And we talked about best in the nation with Ryan Day. Let's make Ohio State part of that conversation, but understand the conversation that you're having. For Steven, for Nathan, I'm Doug. Try the text. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.